Adventure of the World, where daytime animation reigns in the world of Batman the Animated Series. Using stunning visuals and outstanding storytelling, a series that redefined a heroic legend through style and mythos, giving the world the definitive Cape Crusader. With your co-host Vicky Ray, Joe Randazzle, Greg Johnson, David Grant, Matthew Rose, and Keith Shago as they unmask the ultimate superhero, Batman, the animated series as explored by the Literary Licensed Podcast. And it's Batman week. We'll discuss four episodes of Batman. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Sean Stefan with us. Hello, Sean. Hello, everyone. And Joe Randazzo with us. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. And Vicky's probably getting high in upstate New York, so she will not be with us. So before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. <laughs> what have you been up to, Joe, since last time we spoke to you? Uh, my mouth exploded last week. I had a... Uh... I broke a tooth on the 4th of July, and I did not realize that could be life-threatening, and I didn't find out until I went to have it extracted, and the inside of my mouth had all swollen, and they were like, oh, this could have caused a heart attack and killed you, and I was like, it could have, it could have what now? Yeah. I had no idea. You get sepsis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, so that was fun. <laughs> uh, saw Asteroid City. So there's that, um, and uh, we, uh, uh, Sean, I think you enjoyed it too. We both enjoyed it. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely one of his more solid ones. A lot of people are saying it's the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movie. It's up there on, on a one to ten. I'd say it's around an eight in terms of like Wes Anderson tropes. Uh, but uh, what, what's it, your favorite it's, Wes Anderson? I probably Moonrise Kingdom. It, it, you asked me on the day, it would either be Moonrise Kingdom or um, the Grand Budapest. I, I It's a toss-up between those two. Which are my I, two favorites, too. So I, I, I also love uh, the, the older one. I love Darjeeling Limited and uh, Steve Zizou. I love those, but I, I, th- that, or, or that one really... I think Moonrise Kingdom's probably my favorite. Okay. Just, there's a, but there's a whimsy Roadrunner uh, cartoon feel to it. They really try to capture the spirit of a Roadrunner cartoon, or at least the look and the aesthetic, which I, I absolutely well, yeah, the look, not the spirit. There, there is an actual Roadrunner in the thing. <laughs> so, but yeah, we, we we also revisited Looney Tunes back in action. Speaking of the Roadrunner, oh yeah, we did. Uh, that movie, my God, that one is a uh, is a hidden gem because every, I. I did not realize that um, he did the Gremlins 2 treatment to the Looney Tunes. I, I, I had skipped over this when it came out in theaters. I never bothered uh, re- revisiting it when it came out on DVD or when, when it was on TV. I just kind of, eh, whatever, it's a Looney Tunes movie. And then I found out maybe a couple of years ago, Joe Dante directed it. 
and knowing what I know now in, as an adult about Joe Dante and his feeling towards the studio system and everything, I'm like, this could be good. This could be a lot of fun. And I just, if you love classic movies, if you love classic sci-fi, if you love classic, if you just love movies, you will love this movie. It, it is an absolute treat. I, I, I loved it so much. Yeah, it was it was destroyed by critics, and I remember yeah. hearing it was terrible, it was terrible, it was terrible. And I think Dante loaded it up with so many references to older movies that maybe in two thousand three I w- I wasn't getting. I didn't know who the man from Planet X was, but there he was in one of the um uh in one of the pods. Uh, you know, I, I didn't I, know who the mutant from this island Earth was, and th- there he was fighting and again amongst everybody. Yeah, uh, so I, I think there were a lot of references that we just didn't get. I think a lot of it now, when you look back, I think Dante was making a statement about the about the studio system that we're just kind of catching up with now. Yeah. Um, as far as just greed and incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of remember like um, when Warner Brothers was just making its emergence, they had what Tiny Tunes. Yeah. Was coming out, yep. and any maniacs is coming up, but of course, that was Spielberg, but same studios. But, um, so yeah, so I'm kind of wondering, and that was quite full of old references as well, yep. which I kind of, I mean, when I started watching that, I mean, well, I mean, I'm a bit older, so I was, I was kind of getting so, but I haven't seen the Looney Tunes back in action. I'll give that a check out. It's a lot of fun, it's, it's definitely a little bit of a sleeper. Now, I, I, I it's, uh, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I got a chance to see it. I mean, it's still a goofy, fun Looney Tunes movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, okay, that check out. So yeah, I'm trying to, I keep kicking that mixed up with the other Looney Tunes one with um, uh, Space oh, Jam. Yeah, Space Jam. I get I get confused with Space Jam. The space. The first one it works a little bit, and then I, I think when. Back in action didn't do well. That was kind of like the final nail in the new Looney Tunes coffin for at least for at least for movies. Yeah, until Space Jam Two, but I think and that killed it. But that did was it, just that was did. just we're not just using Looney Tunes. We're going to use the entire Warner Brothers IP library and just stuff everything into this movie. Everything from you know Game of Thrones to the Droogs. So I mean, like it's ridiculous. I guess what I found a bit. I guess the reason why Space Jam never really caught on for me was that I was expecting Roger Rabbit improved as far as uh, special effects. And okay. it kind of like took a step back. It's like, well, this is like, you know, f- well, 15 years after about Roger Rabbit, right? And Roger Rabbit looks so much more advanced than Space Jam did, which was kind of yeah. odd when you think of so it. Space Jam, all the money went to Michael Jordan. Yeah. You had to pay him. You had to pay for Mike, had to pay for Bill Murray, had to pay for the, uh, all the cameos of all the uh, basketball stars. Because oh, this, was ca- this wasn't happened. the cast of Eddie. This was actual NBA All-Stars. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, there's no acting lessons for Michael Jordan in the budget, so that didn't help. No. <laughs> it's okay. His, I'll never forget his, uh, his scene golfing with Bill Murray and his line, uh, them discussing uh, – why Bill Murray can't play uh, basketball and Bill accuses him. It's because I'm white, isn't it? No, no, it's not because you're white. Larry's white. Larry's not white. Larry is clear. And that <laughs> line is forever burned in my head. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I guess my, to me, Michael Jordan's acting was is probably he had as much personality as his, his trainers. So, but <laughs> well, then when you watch the Last Dance and you hear about what um, what a prick the right word? A prick is a fair word. I I'd say competitive. Prick. Oh yeah, oh yeah, on that level, yeah, Uber, competitive. Uber competitive prick. <laughs> I think is accurate. But he's yeah he's no he's no Dennis Rodman in terms of acting chops. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> well, I guess hey, with, I I was in the, the theater striking. for double team. I guess with the new strike that's on currently, I guess we'll have time yeah. to go and rediscover old movies now. So. I'm I'm catching up on a lot that. of series on Netflix that, that I missed and a lot of shows uh, that that uh, I said oh I'll, I'll get to that eventually one day. Yeah, I'm doing that as well because, like, oh, unfortunately, yeah. what I think is going to happen is all the other unions are going to throw the writers under the bus. Well, you can't do you can't work without the actors right now, and and the actors yeah. and the writers together. That's a great tag team to kind of go up against them. The directors already settled. It's just where it goes from here. I don't know. I mean, this, this... You know, the actors think they have more talent than the writers. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean... and I. I think ultimately, I think the studios feel that way too. Yeah. And I think ultimately, I think the writers are the the uh, the writers are going to be the last the last ones left out. I think they're going to be the last ones out there because I I I think SAG's going to end up probably in time mm. probably end up caving. Well, they're all one, aren't they? All one now, aren't they? All be aren't, aren't all those guilds forming into one gigantic or- guild? I mean, I I I, I don't say no. There's as far as I know, the guilds are still separate, but they are just kind of, kind of working with each other to try to make more of an impact. But it's I know really... the music one all formed into one now. All the different music ones are now just one. Yeah, bomber right now. So I'm kind of wondering if they're going to start going. That might end up. They may end up going to that. Yeah, because that that might be the only way to actually get any real change. The music industry got screwed and kneecapped between. Uh, downloading and then just switching over to iTunes and stuff like that and the MP3s and then Spotify and and the and all that stuff it was just like boom 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 and the film industry learned nothing from that yeah no there's ego i mean this is the people that spent 350 million dollars on indie 5 and thought hey yeah we can make a profit i have to sit there and say though with the music with Spotify and iTunes in a way in a way it's kind of helped a lot of underground artists were they probably would have got left behind because now it's like you can find all this kind of different music that if you had to listen to the radio, you're kind of shoved with the same people over and over and over again. So now you have a chance to find different people. I mean, as far as the radio goes, I think that's still the case. You know, I think you still have the same, you know, 20 artists are pushing at a time. You know, it's level the playing field as far as, you know, maybe online stuff. But I think for the most part, I think people still, I I mean, you're still going to have, the major record labels go on iTunes and Spotify and all these people going, no, 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 push this guy, push this guy. Yeah. Well, I know satellite radio or at least Sirius XM, what they do is um, they'll license with an artist, uh, their entire catalogs, live 
uh, B-sides or studio recordings, and they'll just, hey, we'll have the Bruce Springsteen channel for six months, the uh, the Bob Dylan channel for six months, the Beatles channel 24-7, the Sinatra channel 24-7. And they'll just, and so you'll have everything of those artists and artists that are similar. And that way that artist gets a payday. They might come in and record um, some studio sessions for to be a DJ. And, hey, here's the, here's the song that I remember doing this, give you a little talk up and then go into it. So there's other ways that you can make money, but for the most part, actually making and writing and recording music that's the the last of, on the long list the uh you, you, you could flip through dials and hear tom petty hosting a show three years after he's dead so creepy <laughs> it's so creepy i love the tom petty channel but yeah i just say every hey i remember recording this one well, I, tom <laughs> what are you doing man. here <laughs> Well, I mean, if you think of Elvis Presley still releasing new material, I guess Tom can keep speaking from down the grave. <laughs> as far as uh, as far as like pay for a lot of musicians, uh, uh, Darren Miller from uh, formerly of CKY, uh, and he was in a couple of the films Dave and I made together. He he's basically said like, yeah, the the, the days of being able to, like if you're starting out now, yeah. Or starting out in the last, you know, fifteen years or so, the idea of being able to make a middle class income as a professional musician, he said, those days are basically gone. Yeah, I can see that. I also but, find it incidentally that's that. what the writers and and uh, actors guild are saying because they're like, you know, people look at oh these millionaires and billionaires. You're you looking can't afford at, you to know, live in these places that you need to work. That's the problem. Well, you're you're, you're looking you're looking at the Tom Cruises and Angelina Jolie's of the world. You're not looking at the guy who, you know, works every single day on a different production because he he hasn't made it as like a star, but he's a working actor. Yeah. Like that's you know, and and the other thing we're 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 not even thinking of, you know, not not every not every writer is Stephen King or get or somebody who's getting like a, a ton of money. Uh, a lot of them are still waiting tables and they're, you know, they're doing, they're doing these gigs where they're picking up, you know, picking up uh, a thing here or there. And that's that just to, not to cut you off, but to add to that, uh, that's one of the arguments I've seen from, from the writers in response to the studios. They're looking at it as we've been working a gig economy because you haven't been able to pay us a proper living wage for years now. And you think that you're going to starve us out till October or till we lose our homes. It, it, I, I use this. Uh, I saw the phrase. It's like going to war with Vietnam. It's a no-win scenario. It, it, you're 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 completely screwed. Meanwhile, these people David have been salary annually is is a quarter it's of a million up. dollars, and it's going to keep going up. The more shows he cuts, and the more things he uh, puts in a vault. I mean, I, another thing I think writers have a problem will always have a problem. Really, is that people don't know who they are. Well, yeah. and and also that everyone well, thinks the industry they can do, do. It. but I mean, you can go to anyone and say, "What's your favorite movie or what's your favorite TV show? Who wrote it?" And this is like dead silence, unless it unless it's like an Aaron Sorkin. That I was going to say Aaron like Sorkin, Quentin Tarantino, the, the, David uh, Mamet, uh, David, uh, the, the Charlie Kaufman. You know, the, these are those are the, the Spike superstar Jen writers. Yeah, superstar know? writer, not not Spike Jones director, but but he always works with Kaufman. But it's it's the it's the those level names that you need to written by this oh i need to see this because this is going to be something special you don't get that anymore you get i mean even with directors too to some extent uh, the, some of the names we mentioned before but i mean nolan he, he's in there but mm -hmm. people don't go to see I, I love christopher mcquarrie i've been a fan of his since the way of the gun 
But we don't, we're not saying we're here to see the new Christopher McQuarrie movie. We're here to see the new Mission Impossible. We're here to see the new, you know, even though he's directed the last two, which have been arguably, we Joe and I just went through all of them. Those are two of the best ones. Maybe Ghost Protocol, uh, I think, is could, can go either way. But that scene in the opera house in, in the last, my in Rogue God, Nation. in Rogue Nation, my God, that was fantastic. And so we're, we're going to go see the new one after the, this movie. But it, it's one of those things where there are so many great filmmakers and talented writers out there that are just not getting a chance to be recognized because it's all about the IP. It's all about that instead of the people bringing that IP to life on screen. I, I've, I've heard it in the past and I've had a, I, I would have a screenplay and somebody would read it and be like, well, is there a way we can, uh, we could fit this into an, into an already existing IP. And I'm like, well, but this is something new that you would own outright and they don't want to take a chance. I think, he, I mean, it seems to be that some of the big Hollywood blockbusters are not making their money and these independents are starting to reemerge. So you might be see, we might start seeing a, a slight change going on now. So I think I'm so hoping. too. I think That's... people are tired of, of all these. We were, we, uh, Sean and I were discussing this uh, privately a couple of days ago that when we were, when we were younger, these blockbusters used to mean something because yeah. there, there wasn't one every single week and not every movie was a $250 million movie. And when you're in a situation, oh, Insidious the Red Door yeah. apparently did really, really well last weekend. And that's a movie that didn't cost $200 million to make. And I think that if studios start to realize that... Spend what, less, you, you, make more? <laughs> yeah, you don't... You make... Spend few, you know, spend less. Couple hundred money. less. <laughs> yeah, spend less money on these movies and just make more small films, like they used to in the the nineties and two thousand, you know, eighties and nineties and early two thousands. You don't have to rely on a billion dollar box office just to make your money back if you didn't spend two hundred fifty million to begin with. We've already kneecapped the secondary uh, outlet, the uh, secondary market by physical media. And you've diluted the stream by by having to cap out every single streaming service, whether it be 20, 30, 50, depending on which one you're going to, uh, Amazon, Apple, Google, whatever you buy your movies from digitally, they get a cut. So you're, you're kneecapping yourself even further. I just found out earlier this week that the movie Grandma's Boy, the a Adam Sandler produced movie Grandma's Boy, made $50 million on DVD. I had no idea. It made that much money. It explains why Adam Sandler is Adam Sandler and, and has this power that he does. But $50 million. Movies will never, the low-level, mid-level, non-franchise movie will never get a chance to make that amount of money. Because it's one weekend, you're out. You're in streaming for 48 days. Nobody saw your movie? Too bad. You're in the vault. Like what Disney just did with that uh, that astronaut movie. that uh, It got 48 days on streaming. And then it was, uh, ah, we're going to pull it off. It's movies will never get a chance to be, a, there will never be another cult hit again. I'll never, there'll never be another monster squad. There will never be another movie that, Hey, I'll, I'll check it out. I, I heard the good word of mouth. And there are a and lot of those movies. If you look back o o over the course of history that were discovered via the rental market, via VHS yeah. and all, you know, and DVD and all that, they became huge hits there. And that's how you know. That's how people learned about them. Well, see, that's uh, the, that's the. I think that has a lot to do with video stores and with, yeah. uh, 
you know, it's not just streaming. The problem basically is when you got rid of your video stores or record stores. Now it's like now if you want to buy something, you have to know what you're looking for. You have to yeah. search yeah. for. You can't just fall upon something unless you get. Yeah, we've amplified the importance of Rotten Tomatoes to the to the extent that it has because that's really all we have mm-hmm. to, to 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 know. I when I bought a video when I bought a video game when I was a kid, it was. It was a crapshoot. I could either rent it at Blockbuster <laughs> or I go into the or I go to the store, yeah. I buy it, and then I find out maybe three weeks later in a gaming magazine, oh, it's not that good. But that that was it. That was our, our he, review. But but Keith's got got a, a real point there because yeah. the discovery is gone. Yeah, the idea of just nobody watches TV anymore either. So the idea that you're going to flip through channels and find something that looks interesting, go, oh, that looks cool. I'm gonna, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna sit here and watch this. How many movies have have we discussed? Where it was one of those things where, oh, I'm getting home from school and I'm turning on the TV and I'm catching a movie in the middle and I just watch it through to the end. Yeah. And I that's not going to happen many, anymore. Many yeah. a movies on HBO that way. I, I just got home from school. I We just watched uh, The Game with uh, the, the uh, David Fincher. The, you know, with Michael Douglas. I I, I went Criterion shopping uh, with, uh, with the sale recently. And uh, I picked up Michael Douglas's The Game. And for me, I always remember coming home from school, <coughs> seeing that movie on HBO, and always seeing the last 20 minutes of it. Never saw the full movie, always saw the last 20 minutes of it. Until finally one day, I'm like, you know what? I've se- I got to see how this how it got to this point, because it's such an intriguing ending. How did it get to this point? And unfortunately, seeing it 25 years later, eh, it didn't really hold up as well. But I still, I still uh, appreciate the fact that, no, just going home, seeing it on TV. All right. What is this? And be, just the freedom of being able to, of, uh, I guess the exploration of, of it all that, that I really, that just, I miss that. It, it's, I'm very nostalgic for it. It used to be eight o'clock tonight. They're going to show this, uh, this movie. This is the first time it's ever on TV. I, you know, I grew up in a lower middle-class family, so I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't able to go to the movies all the time. <clears throat> so you know the, the this movie that's playing on TV for the first time, it was a big deal. Mm. So we we we'd, we'd watch a new movie and the, you know that, that that was just premiering on TV and we'd hear about it and it'd be all over the place because you, you know the the television premiere of you know uh, the 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 new Mad Max or the new Indiana Jones is going to be on. Uh, Thursday night. Are you going to watch it? Yeah, I'm going to go watch it. Or HBO every Friday and Saturday would have a you know world pre- the world premiere movie first time on HBO, and that's how I saw Beverly Hills Cop uh, uh, two or three. I don't remember which one. So yeah, I feel I feel like that's a big part of it. The discovery part of it is completely completely shattered because it's only catering to what you already know. Yeah, that's what all the well, other you- are doing. And also, you, you you've spread out the market so much that we're paying for individual channels instead of the bundle. Uh, yeah, we could, we're going it, right back to where we were with cable, as so far yeah. as pricing goes. I looked at uh, how many streaming services I have. Well, I'm like, well, I want to watch this. Well, I want to watch this. Well, I want to watch this. And so now you're you're not really getting the full piece of the pie. If you, uh, I'm lucky, I'm in a situation where I can afford to do that. I know not everyone is in that same situation, so it's. Uh, and even then, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, well, do I really want to – the show I watch on this isn't on for another three months. Do I really want to keep giving them my money? Well, you can do it the clever way. What I do is <laughs> – New emails? <laughs> no, I don't do that because what they do is because 
like Disney Disney Plus, for instance, it's like, okay, it's like, okay, I wanted to see the Mandalorian. So I got rid of Disney Plus and the Mandalorian came back on. I got my 30 days free. Uh watched everything I wanted to say and then get rid of it. And I've done that with like Apple <laughs> TV. I've done this. And suddenly, uh and suddenly it makes sense why the streaming companies don't want to open their books and show how much money they're actually making or not making. Well, that's is, the thing. The only, the only they never mention how much money. It's the only thing I have going on a regular basis. Netflix is spontaneous. That's keeps going. Yeah. But okay. everything else, I mean, I'm just dipping it out because the thing is, like, well, I'm not. I don't watch Disney Plus. All, I mean, I probably watch Netflix the most. Yeah. Amazon Prime comes free with my Amazon Prime, and I get free delivery and everything like that. So that works well for me. So that comes that comes with the whole package of the free delivery and everything. But the other ones, it's kind of like you know, if I had Disney going 365 days a year, I'm very rarely watch it. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, I I'm re going through it right now, but yeah, I, I I'm mainly just trying to go through shows before I that might get pulled off the service. So I, in, aside from that, I haven't really watched it for much. Yeah. And even then, like the did the, the the Marvel shows, I was just telling Joe, I'm like Miss Marvel. I started watching. I maybe got two episodes in, stopped. Moon Knight, one episode, stopped. Yeah. I, I I don't think I'll be seeing the marvels i don't think i'll be checking out loki season two so i I was just telling him how pissed i am and everybody who told me wandavision was great (laughs) the first episode first two episodes were good and then we found out oh never mind none of this matters it's gonna matter in the grand scheme of the story it's a great it's it's a i say i still say it's a great companion piece and villain origin story for uh, multiverse of madness, but other than that, it's kind of pointless. Yeah, well, the be- when the best stuff in it is, but it doesn't really pay off. Mm. Yeah, when the when the best stuff on the show is the stuff that has nothing to do with the main storyline. What the hell are you doing? Well, yeah. after watching it, I just kind of wish was it who is it? Elizabeth Olsen? Is she in it? Yeah, yeah. I kind of wish Elizabeth Olsen stayed with that cult in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> after watching it. <laughs> but, but yeah i mean but that's the problem i mean even i mean like you know i got my bonus and i thought okay well buy let me go through the dvd collect um the blu-rays and dvds and let's see if i can find something to buy and unfortunately it's like you can't even like differentiate like I, okay i was looking for something older i don't know what i was looking for but i didn't find anything and mm-hmm. i know there's stuff out there but it's like i have to know what the title is yeah um, but I'm not going to put the title in if I don't know if it's out or not. So I'm like, I did buy RoboCop, the special Blu-ray, special edition from Shout. So, you know, because that's always quite good. And, I, and because I remember the DVD of the director's cut wasn't very good looking. You know, you it can, wasn't. No, you know, it's a bit like the Evil Dead uh, Army <laughs> Army of Darkness. Where you can see where they put, put the cut scenes in they're really blurry. Like <laughs> so, so they fixed that so that was quite good so that was that's probably the only thing i bought but i i mean i spent like about a good three or four hours just trying to going through everything and just figuring out what i want but as you were saying with um watching things on cable and stuff like this some of my favorite movies is from discovering them on you know whether it's hbo or showtime you know night of the comet night of the creeps you know uh killer clowns <laughs> from outer space 
Big Murder Trouble Little China was a major one for me. They used to play that all the time on HBO. It's how I got introduced to Carpenter. It's I, I'm I wouldn't have had it without that the, those moments. Yeah, I, I had no idea who John Carpenter was. I just knew whenever they live, Halloween, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, all those movies came on TV. I was, I was like, yeah, I need to go watch this. And then I was like, oh, these are all made by the same guy. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I remember um, watching um, <laughs> Prom Night <laughs> on a repeat. Because <laughs> he's come on like in the middle. Not, this is before, I don't know. I mean, thinking back on it, like, I mean, the 80s and 90s is kind of precarious time for growing up as a kid because they didn't have like a watershed moment. I mean, he's <laughs> like in the middle of the day. And that's where I saw a lot of my horse <laughs> come home from school and it'd be like on. He's like, eh, I'm watching Prom Night. <laughs> Jamie, HBO. HBO kind of cleaned it up in like the mid '90s. They're like, we'll put in the kids' movies and this, like this, with the barbarian twins and stuff like that. Or if it was an R-rated movie, nothing with nudity. That was the thing. And nudity cannot you cannot see a nipple before yeah. seven. That was the thing. No nipples before prime time. But when uh, I was up, they had Mandingo on at like at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad's like, "What are you watching? I'm watching Mandingo. Yeah, turn that off." <laughs> I still remember getting I yelled like at for 10 or 11 or something. <laughs> I was like nine years old coming home from school, catching the end of Over the Edge uh, with uh, uh, Matt Dillon's debut movie. And it's all about uh, kids rioting up and taking over their town because they were neglected by by their parents. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this is a great movie about rebellious youth. Perfect, perfect uh, to brainwash the child with. Well, I was talking to Ferris, um, yes, actually yesterday, and said to him, I go, you know, he's a different generation of I than I am, of course. But um, but we we're I was talking to him, I go, it's sad because your generation is never going to be able to discover old films. Because I remember like growing up, we had like three or four channels. And it's like, you know, you can either watch football or you know, football or baseball or whatever, you know, depending what season it is on television or you switched over and we can't watch monster movie matinee or you watch some old movie that be showing any you know a lot of my old movies come from watching these old movies that i caught when i was a kid because there'd be nothing else on and you know and and and, and you know if you look at music you know even music it's like you know i remember growing up and the music would be 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s and it'll be like a whole blend and if you look at you know and if you even look at like when i was growing up in the 70s and 80s for instance if you look at the charts you have everything from jazz to rock to pop to you know to country western they're all hit they're all in the top 10 you know what i mean all these different genres now everything's so subdivided it's kind of like you know, you really need to know what you're looking for. And it's, it's kind of sad, really. I mean, it's great that we have, we can have everything at our fingertips, but at the same time, we've lost something else because of it. And it's just, you know, and I, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't watch television. Like I used to watch television. I hardly watched anything on television. I catch I do everything on catch up now or on apps, BBC yeah. app or ITV or, you know, there's, very rare do you find destination tv the walking dead had it for a while and then you know it slowly fizzled out and uh the breaking bad had it. the amc had their little moment I mean, there's uh, moment still the big mega shows the, the big mega shows always exist game, but, game of thrones you're, 
uh, Yellowstone. Those seem to be like the big ones, the tentpole shows nowadays. Yeah, and uh, the, the Last, Last of, of Us. Last of Us is a, is a destination show now. Mm-hmm. Although they're going to alienate everyone probably in the next season, or at least half. I of mean, the for me, the only the only the only show it. that I feel that I have to watch live is uh, is Joe Bob Briggs. It's the only one that I'm like, okay, I watch that. Yeah. That's the only one. I don't care about anything else as it airs. Yeah, well, I'm uh, kind of in the same boat now. Well, I'm watching Hostage on Apple Plus at the moment with Idris Elba. Excellent. I've heard that's good. I've heard that's good. That's the one on the plane, right? Yeah, but at the okay. same time, it's one episode per week. <laughs> Wait, that's a series? I thought that was a movie. Yeah. No, it's a series. And it's that's a series. Excellent. I highly recommend it. It's, it's got that 24 vibe to it where it all takes place in real time. But... um. You know, so every Wednesday, you know, we're watching that. Well, we watched the first three because, you know, someone said it's really good. And then now we're watching it on a week to week basis. And I remember Ferris going, how can do we have to wait for the next episode? Yeah, <laughs> that's how it used to be. I got to hook you. This that's also how they that's also how they get your money into a next month. They're like, no, you got to stick around. You got to stay around now. And I'm like, it's sad that they're getting back to that formula. I, I prefer the just the dump of everything. And, and so you become the talk of everything for the course of the weekend. You own the weekend. Everybody knows about your movie. Everyone knows about your show. And then uh, you move on to something else. But, but isn't that part of the problem, though? Yeah, no. At well, least you, you have your moment. You yeah, have you, don't, your... you don't have that water cooler moment, though, anymore. That's the problem. Yeah. Everyone's watching everything at a different time. Because you know, TV's, TV's now or... Is suited to your time schedule. You're not suited to its time schedule. So yeah, I can I can watch Hostage on Wednesday, but my you know you know Millie at work, my secretary at work might watch it on a Sunday. Yeah, you know what I mean. I so, mean, I guess the water cooler are Facebook and Twitter now. You know, because yeah. you're gonna post about hey, oh my god, the new episode of Hostage, and then you know Sean might have seen it. And he, you and him, I get into a little uh, conversation in the in the comments. But then I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not I'm not going to comment, and I'm not going to read your comments because that's the closest we're going to get to that now is is social media. Well, I know that we use social media as a way to market the show, but I really stay away from social media. (laughs) It's only because like I get well, I rarely tweet anymore. It's better for my mental health to not. Well, most of our Twitter followers are really in, are porn actors for some reason. So we got a lot of that. <laughs> so I was kind of like, so I get a lot of that feed coming through my Twitter at the moment. Um, and between and that, that, that explains it. That explains even, why I, why I started getting so much of that. Yeah, that explains it. Yeah, and even <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like so you know, and then, you know. I, and I kind of have to take a step back anyway. Otherwise, you find, you know, these weird, weird, really weird squabbles are going on. You're like, oh, God, really? <laughs> like... It always amazes me the things that people are fighting over because it's the most inconsequential shit. It really is. Well, I'm kind of wondering if people are just doing it because they're bored. That's the problem. You know, I, I, I still think half of them are bots. I still can't do. I still don't understand why anyone can defend Halloween ends. I just, I just think that this is a troll. You know, what, you know what I think. You know what I think it is. It's my theory on why people defend Halloween ends. The movie doesn't make any sense, but and I think that what they do is they attach the idea that this is some, uh, you know, like wonderfully elevated work of art because I don't understand it. So I'm going to pretend that, you know, no, it must, it must be high art. 
Meanwhile, no, dude, it really is trash. <laughs> it's a garbage ass movie. It's it's like going to the Guggenheim and looking at a black picture. It's like it's like <laughs> this is fantastic. Only because of the, oh like, no, sir, that that's just a TV screen like, that that isn't turned on yet. But you want to sound intelligent because you're afraid you might sound not intelligent if you don't get it. <laughs> so. But the, the thing the, the thing is because I had somebody say that uh. Uh, it's my peasant mentality that didn't allow me to understand. That didn't allow me to accept that I that instead of getting a burger, I got a steak. I was like, no. And I went through this. Lo- I, I just used that long ass post that I made like three days after the movie came out, picking apart every problem with the movie, and I just send them that. And I'm like, that is the the, the problem with Halloween ends. I hope you have. Uh, according to uh, uh, according to Substack, it's going to take 14 minutes for you to read it. But yeah, go ahead and read my. Uh, <laughs> You know, my. I mean, uh, there, there are a couple of things that really irritated me. First of all, Kyle Richards should have been killed. I don't care if it was the the second version or the third. She should have been killed. <laughs> they didn't kill any. They didn't kill anyone. All they killed is these people. These new people. And they're like, okay. Yeah, the new people who you had no emotional attachment to. They um, killed the band. The band bullies. Yeah. Um. But actually, I just this is actually something speaking of Kyle Richards that I just learned. I was watching the movie The Car a couple of weeks ago. Um, I didn't realize that she's the sister of the little girl from the Witch Mountain movies. Yeah, Kim. And if you think no if you think it, if you think of it this way, Kim Richards' movie, she was in Assault on Precinct Precinct Thirteen. Yep. She little girl gets shot. Then the next year, he does Halloween, and it's Kyle Richards. Yeah, he gets he gets her little sister. Yeah. And um and well to be honest, I mean those two sisters really hate each other. And uh somebody else was in the car that also ended up on Halloween. I'm trying to remember who it was. It, it might have been Charles Cyphers, was it was in the car and ended up in Halloween, and I'm wondering, was that because of the, the connections to the Richard sisters? Yeah. It's, so it's, it's kinda it's kinda weird when you watch these movies and you kind of start to see like the more famous movies kind of form because you're like, oh, this person was in this movie with this person. Oh, and then they and this person's sister was in this movie by, by this director. And then, oh, okay, yeah, it all kind of starts to. Well, there's some. It's kind of funny because um, I'm going back and watching P.J. Hogan films again. P.J. Hogan's the Australian director who did Muriel's Wedding, My Best Friend's Wedding, Unconditional okay. Love. And if you start when you start watching it, it's like. All his, all his some some of the characters are in every single one of these other movies. So the same character, like Lynn Redgrave's, like in every single one from a point forward. Ruben Everett appears in three of them. So, and I quite like it when directors do bring these other supporting characters and they carry them through from movie to movie, sort of thing. It's like little puzzle pieces, and it's kind of cool yeah. to watch them kind of form. Oh, I, I, I Kim Richards was in um one of the Witch Mountain movies with Donald Pleasance around the time that Halloween was made. So maybe that Donald Pleasance was brought in. Through mm. the Kim Richards connection, you know, so it's it's kind of cool seeing that stuff kind of work itself out. Um, my ex, and um, when I lived in Chicago, um, we used to watch a lot of the Disney movies, and we used to sit there and say that all those, you know, all you know, all those minor characters in Disney animation. We used to sit there and say that, like Mary Weather from Sleeping Beauty, you can see her in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Just recycle the cell. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But to us, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, like these sporting characters are making it come. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bit like um, one of my favorite movies is uh, they just did a Blu-ray. So I actually actually went and bought the copy of this is The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, Don Knotts. 
Oh wow, yeah. I, I just watched that. that a couple a couple of uh, months ago. And what's brilliant about it is like all the supporting actors. Yeah. I mean every I mean it's got every single supporting Hollywood actor that you want in one movie. It's like all of them. So it's like, yeah. You know, but I've always liked that. It's like I do that with Alfred Hitchcock, but like every time I see Thelma Richer appear or Marjorie Mann, every time she appears, Ma Kettle, yeah. it's like her on all the movies. And I quite like those supporting actors. And it's like, funny because a lot of the time she is still playing Ma Kettle. She's playing a variation of what would become Ma Kettle later on. <laughs> I do love her. So I do my fa- but my favorite bit in, in The Ghost of Mr. Chicken was just the guy who would just constantly yell, I had a boy, Luther. <laughs> it's just such a stupid gag but it got me laughing every single time <laughs> John Knotts, thank god all those movies I mean, I mean, I mean like the one where he's like turns into an animated fish <laughs> uh, Mr. Limpet? yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. Mr. Limpet, Mr. Limpet yeah. which is probably the worst it's like worse anime worse than um, Bed Nose and Broomstick animation <laughs> I had gotten uh <laughs> I, there was a DVD set of like five of his movies uh, from Universal that was on sale last year around Black Friday for five bucks. I was like, "Fuck it, yeah, it's a buck a movie." Yeah. So I, I grabbed that. I didn't. I didn't buy the Blu-ray for any of these. I'm, I'm not that big a fan of, of any of them to buy a Blu-ray for them, but I have the DVD and I'm able to watch them whenever I want. Yeah, I had the DVD of the four of them. Then I loaned it to someone, never got it back, and I thought. Out of all his movies, the one I liked the most was The Ghost of Mr. Chicken, so I actually would invest in that, because I would actually watch that one over. The other ones, you kind of go, okay. He had a formula. <laughs> a formula. Well, they always did back then. And it was always the idea that you're not going to go see every single movie in the theater, so yeah. we can repeat ourselves, and it's not going to matter. Yeah, and if you get if you get really hard up, you can always get Disney Plus and watch the Apple Dumpling Gang. So... <laughs> but, um, so what are, what are you even up to, Sean? Well, when I've not been working, I've been uh, doing the uh, – I, I pretty much did my first real Criterion haul, and I got a ton of Criterion movies, and I got caught up on uh, – uh, that I've been meaning to check out, uh, Hollywood Shuffle. I, yes. I hadn't – that was a interesting Robert one. Robert Townsend, yeah. Uh, I had never seen it, but I, I know uh, it has a major influence – in my upbringing because I was raised on in living color and uh, bet- this, and I'm going to get you sucker are kind of the gateways to that show being made. And uh, it's, I think Joe and I, we both kind of agreed it. We love the commentary, but the dream sequences, they went on maybe about five minutes too long. Uh, I kind of saw the early, cause it was written by Keenan Ivory Waynes. And when you, the, when they do the uh, the two guys watching doing the uh, the movie reviews, it kind of resembled the Homeboys Shopping Network a little bit and the Men on sketches a little bit. You could kind of see where those kind of grew from there into the sketches that they would inevitably become. It was a lot of fun. It was an interesting movie. Uh, but yeah, I just thought the daydreams went on eh, maybe about three to five minutes too long each time. And an interesting satire uh, on on how black actors were treated in yeah. the 70s and 80s because you get these actors who are able to recite Shakespeare and they're casting them in the movies within you're the movie. Number like, two. Yeah, you're bug number three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I, I thought that was – and it was handled with just brilliantly. And they're like, look, man, just don't lower yourself to that. They always need work at the post office. Just if it comes down to it. You can always do something else. So, and I'm like, Robert yeah. Townsend films always have a habit of running 
at a weird tempo though as well i mean if you look at yeah. the five heartbeats or actually i think this best film was jackie's back that one he did with um you know that that was quite more consistent but i mean i love the five heartbeats i like his other films but i find that they the temples a bit odd they they're like start out really good and then they kind of have like this really weird dip thing and then they come yeah. back up and then have another dip so and you're kind of going where your mind starts to travel a little bit Watching yeah which I don't mind. I, I like to. Be, I I prefer a movie to make me think than anything. But at the same time, the, you're right. The way he does it is just such. A, is kind of it's jarring. It's uh, it's a little and it goes on a little too long. He needs a stronger editor, I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. But it, uh, I did that. What else did I do? I, I made a. I actually have my my list of all my new movies that I got. Uh, uh we got. We checked out. <laughs> Joe actually uh, and I we checked out Sisu. Uh, oh yeah. I love, I love Sisu. But uh, <laughs> it's a straightforward movie about killing Nazis. And, yeah, and just no plot to get in the way of the fun. No, exactly. It felt it felt it was a great grindhouse movie in a way because it's just literally it's this one guy, Gold Farmer, just got to get to the bank and he encounters Nazis and they kept screwing with him and he just slaughters every single Nazi he encounters. And that's it. That's the movie. It's it's pretty basic, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, the, the guy who's the lead, and also when we go back talking about uh, the mid-budget movie, six point six million dollars made thirteen, I want to say, so it made it made its money back. It's uh, yeah, it's a nice little uh, nice, and, and from the look of it, it's also a very gorgeous movie. Uh, I want to say they filmed it in Finland. I think and, so. Yeah, and, and the the Finnish landscapes that they that they shoot everything on, it's quite gorgeous. So. Uh, Mixed in with the brutality of uh, all the gore and Nazis getting exploding, that uh, that also has a different beauty to it in a, in a different way. But well, it's uh, it's a lot well, of fun. Explore that in our season, <laughs> and we do a WTF. One of our things would be WTF. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's ninety. It's a, that's the other thing. It's a ninety-minute movie, which was so refreshing. Not not in a two-hour movie. Not a three-hour yeah. movie. Not two and a half hours. Like ninety minutes in and out done mm -hmm. same thing with same thing with fool's paradise it was 90 minutes in and out done i'm like i, I, I can't i'm waiting on that one is that uh, I, 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 I missed that in theaters because i was i was working two jobs at the time so <laughs> it, was, it was in theaters for literally one week oh, one weekend. Going, oh, cool all right let's go yeah. see this next week now that the it second job is over and sean's like ah, it's already out of theaters I was going to say, it came out on Thursday. It wasn't there for $5 night on Tuesday. So, uh, <laughs> uh, What about you, Keith? What have you been up to? Um, I've been, um, well, um, Lauren Ash, if you ever saw the TV show Superstore, um, she played Dina. I knew of it, yeah. It's the uh, the one about like the working in a Walmart or a Costco. Yeah. Okay. And she's fantastic, but she's just come out with some singles and stuff, which she we're gonna be promoting her singles on our podcast soon. But um she's got her own podcast, which she does with her cousin, where they grew up together. It's called um True Crime and Cocktails. <laughs> Brilliant. I highly recommend it. I mean, they go I mean, they're X Files. <laughs> so it's fantastic but they're really funny but they give you like all this in-depth stuff at the same time of going on with like these murders and stuff like this and they do a lot of oh. the research but the camaraderie and the, they're just so funny they just crack me up 
So, hmm. so I've been like listening to that nonstop. I used to like, listen to my playlist on the way to work, but now I'm listening to that. Then when I'm doing my paperwork in my office, I got that playing. So I'm like listening to this like nonstop. So that's like, and I think there's like 250 episodes. And I, and now, it's like I started off with the the end ones. I thought, okay, I'm gonna, now I'm going from the beginning and working my way all the way through them. Brilliant! So fantastic yeah. podcast. I highly recommend it. So, but other than that, um, um, catching up. I thought I'd um share with Ferris the American hate of Muslim terrorists in the nineties. So we're rewatching twenty four. <laughs> oh God. <sighs> but I had to sit there and say that um it does hold up. I mean I'm in the we're only in the first series, so it doesn't I mean the latter series, I'd be interested to see his take on it. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say what year did that start running? It's it was like 2001. 90, 2001, yeah. Uh, oh, okay, so it started before 9-11. Okay. Yeah. And then after 9-11, it kind of takes a drastic turn. <laughs> but, uh, so, but he's quite funny. I showed him Team, I showed him, um, team American. He loved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he always goes to me, he goes, uh, he goes I'm going to call my family. I go, tell him I said, Turka, Lurka, Durka, Lurka. Turka, Lurka. <laughs> so but um yeah we're ca- you know we're catching up on that i wa- started watching this new series on apple plus called after party which is going into second season quite enjoying that actually it has um i like to sit there i recognize the people but i don't remember their names but it's kind of a comedy murder mystery okay but i tell you the one of the best shows i'm watching at the moment is poker face Oh, okay. I've heard that's great. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's brilliant. I highly recommend it. It's Ryan Johnson. I guess he's like the the new face that we're supposed to. Uh, Natasha Leone, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's got like a um, it's like a murder she wrote, but in a more hipper style. It kind of starts off where she's kind of on the run, but every town she goes to, there's a murder, and she kind of solves it, sort of thing. But you, <coughs> you do get. You know these fantastic older character actors. I think um, the the postman in um, Cheers. You know, oh, oh uh, John Cliff, Cl- yeah, yeah, Cliff Clavin, love it. And he he's in one episode. I mean, he looks really old now, but he's fantastic. He's just like brilliant. And so you get like these star actors just popping in here and there. The first one does have um, Adrian Brody in it. So and... that I I saw the pilot. I saw uh, it's. Correct me if I'm. It's basically she's like a human lie detector kind of in a way. Yeah. She's got, she's or got a great bullshit detector for lack of a better term. And uh, yeah, just but every episode was built like that. Yeah, every episode is brilliantly written. But I mean, Ryan Johnson is coming off of the Glass Onion, which is I liked a lot, and Knives Out. So you know, so it looks like he's the one to look out for. But you know, if he keeps up in this vein. It's it's just intelligent. It's kind of intelligent. It's fun. You're laughing. You're really into it. The way it, and they they do this really weird thing where it's kind of like you see everything happening, and then it goes back, and you realize that she's actually there. When then it sees how where she is at that moment, and then it all comes together. So it's, it's kind of well done. It is. It's kind of I kind of I won't don't want, I shouldn't say murder she wrote because I mean Jessica Fletcher was a serial killer. I don't care what anyone says. If I went, if I went to twenty places and people just died and <laughs> I went, I'd be in jail. She, she lasted for twelve seasons. There's twenty four episodes per times twelve, and every place she went, people died. Go figure. 
<laughs> She'll do anything for her books. She's <laughs> under constant FBI surveillance. They, you know, that she's, they know every move she makes, every That's town fine. she goes to. Yeah, so if you're a serial killer out there, when you're a sweet old lady, you'll get away with it. That's how I've learned. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I've been watching, watching Poker Face, and that's been brilliant. And then kind of watching bits and pieces. There's nothing really grabbing my goat at the moment. So I'm kind of like dipping into these other new stuff, and I'm just not getting it. So, but besides that, not a lot really. Packing, shipping stuff off to America at the moment, which is what we're doing. So, and looking at houses. Of- soon, and- isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a year, and now we're buying a. I'm buying a Jeep, so that'll be there when I get ready. So, so because you know, if I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to going hunting again. So, yay! It'll be easier for all of us to do uh, uh, an appearance together at a film festival as a podcast if we're all in the United States. Yeah, I mean, I'm planning on you know, you know. You know, collecting my air miles and being able to fly here, there, and everywhere. So that's what I'll be doing. So, so I'm looking forward to it, actually. And I, you know, I got a job waiting for me, so that's good. And I also found out that Fridays it's always it's always going to be a half day Fridays for me, so that's good. Awesome. <laughs> no, nice. any patients on a Friday. That's even better. <laughs> so, but besides that, that's really all I've been up to, really. But we don't lie. And on that note, that brings us to Batman the Animated Series, which our first episode is The Joker's Wild. Cameron Kayser builds a casino hotel modeled after the Joker called The Joker's Wild. The Joker sees this on the news and enraged, escapes from Arkham again with one thought on his mind, destroying the casino, unaware that this is exactly what Kaiser wants him to do as part of an insurance claim. So, Joe, what are your thoughts of The Joker's Wild? Well, first off, if he can just break out at any time, like why <laughs> wait for somebody to piss him off? Uh, and second, as we were watching this, we we were like, "So your your grand scheme here <laughs> is you're going to build, you're going to intentionally piss off somebody who is going to kill you, <laughs> kill you, <laughs> and then go to work on you." He, he will kill you, then dress you up and do things with your dead body. He, <laughs> use it as props, and he will do all of that. Like that—that's the part that gets me. I'm like, you're going to intentionally piss off the Joker so that he'll destroy your casino, and you and you could collect on the insurance money. I'm like, a lot of good that'll do you if you end up dead. <laughs> well, I can't. I don't understand how he thought he was losing money because. It looked like it was quite busy. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot yeah. of people in that casino. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is uh, all the renovations he did, he made to turn it into the Joker's Wild uh, from the casino that it was before. Mm-hmm. I just went to uh, when I went to Vegas, I stayed at the Mirage and I saw that they needed about a billion dollars worth of upgrades going into it. So just from that alone, I'm like, OK, he, he renovates the hotel takes out a major claim on it, and then has the Joker come in and destroy it. Ah, okay. Who knows? But it's it's one of those things where it's it's not a good plan. It's not one that you're going to end no. up... It's going to end well for you. 
physically. No, it's not. Batman I, is the least of your worries. I always kind of wonder what Harley Quinn's take of it are, considering that all the cocktail waitresses were dressed as her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is still before she kind of blew up as a character, too. So, <clears throat> so well, yeah. I, I love that. I love the opening though when you had like poison ivy <laughs> watching watching television. Poison ivy, Mad Hatter in the background. That was another thing. I'm like, why are they all in the same room if they're if they're in an because asylum? Because it's 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 Arkham Asylum as we <laughs> as we've learned from movies in that era. It's it's uh, co-ed in in the rec room. Yeah, nothing. Arkham Asylum is not a prison. It's an asylum. It's a mental yeah. institution. So they probably that's where they go for their group therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we later find out. I mean, isn't that where Poison Ivy worked? That's how she met the Joker, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> wasn't or, it? Or, uh, yeah Harley. Uh, where yeah, Harley she's the, right. his psychiatrist, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Which would be interesting. And, and, and then, yeah, she does. She does move on to Poison Ivy eventually. Spoilers uh, <laughs> for those of you who have no nothing, no nothing about what's going on in the pop culture. Zeitgeist. I was going to say, you know, she got back at the Joker for stealing the remote. Uh, much further <laughs> down the line, she got her revenge. She was playing the long game, clearly. Well, I think, I mean, to be honest, that that relationship between those two, when I was putting together season seven, I noticed that there's some episodes with those two together. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Knowing what I know now, I was like, hmm. They're being planted. Well, I might have a different spin on it looking at it now. Oh, absolutely. Fresh eyes, so you never know. So, <laughs> I mean, um, Batman is kind of a secondary character in this, I've noticed, though. For me, he was kind of like, you know, i kind of wondering why he was involved, really. He should just let it get. <laughs> he is only there because Bruce was invited to the, to the casino. Yeah. That, that's the only reason why Bruce was there to gamble. And uh, as soon as he realized, which, you know, he's a billionaire, a playboy billionaire. You got to keep up aesthetics and appearances. Makes sense to go to a casino opening. Uh, but, the, but I just think it would be in bad taste for Bruce, anyone to show up <laughs> a Joker theme casino. Well, that's the thing. He didn't realize that it was a Joker themed. As soon as the big reveal happened, his there, immediate yeah. reaction was his was disgust, like no comment. Uh, and it just so it, he it, he realized at that point, and, he, and even talking to the Joker when he's face to face with him, God, it must stink. You know, it's so grotesque. All that just. He's letting his feelings be known, and then it slowly dawns on him, okay, yeah, this this ain't right when he peels off the wallpaper, sees that it's... Uh, completely, yeah, it's the Camelot, yeah. I mean, I guess he just find, I mean, if Joker's ego wasn't so big, everything would have just been, fa- everything would have failed, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he let it go. that's what he was counting on. But you don't mess with his residual payments. That's the one thing. I, Joker likes his IPs, and if you uh, mess with the Joker IP, he will go after you. So, like uh, like Disney, don't you know? Yeah. Don't, don't be painting a Mickey Mouse on your nursery school, nursery school wall. <laughs> well, well, now you can as long as you don't use the gloves. You don't use um, God, what uh, I oh, whatever. It's got to be the, the steamboat woolly distinction. I'm yeah, I, it's there, gotta be the nineteen twenty seven version. I am wondering if this weird show that they're coming out with, they got this streaming show, and I'm wondering if they're doing it so that they confuse they can confuse the market and keep the and keep the logo. Well, it's well, not. That's the other thing is it's like know, Mickey hanging out with Steamboat Willie and his name is something different. Oh, I've seen it's that. It's like okay, technically yeah. Yeah, go, 
I've seen a couple of those actually because they got a bunch of shorts of those on Disney Plus. So I kind of yeah, caught... they, they okay, so they are out. Okay, I, I saw the trailer for it. So when I saw, I, I as soon as I saw the trailer, I thought I'm like, okay, clearly this might be their last ditch effort to try to save T Steamboat Willie by no, 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 this is our computer. This, this is a new character. Uh. Well, yeah, they. I mean, it. I don't think it would either. But but even, even the mini is like the Steamboat Willie Mini Mouse situation, yeah. and it does look like it's animated by people who do Cuphead's the computer game. It has that kind of feel to it as well. Yeah, it does. So but you, you, you know what we are going to get to though is technically it's in the public domain, but what we're going to start seeing is if people use Mickey Mouse, Disney won't care. They'll their lawyers will come after you anyway. And yeah. they will they will drain your account in court. They will bog you down in so many legal fees. Yeah. No, they they sued a parent because they sued a, a kid's parents because their child passed away and they wanted to put it. And he loves Spider Man, and they wanted to put the Spider Man logo on on the tombstone. And they sued the family because they don't want that because you're using their IP. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we they're, talk they're, a lot of shit about Gene Simmons and the Kiss Coffin, but Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, grieving family. I'm glad Disney wasn't a gay pride in London because there's some poor gay who had bought like a really old Kmart version of a Mickey Mouse costume that didn't look very. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, um... more like Ricky Rat than Mickey Mouse. And so with that one, I think he made it himself as well. So it's made out of felt and stuff. <laughs> but I was working in the uh, the trauma booth at C2E2 a couple years ago. Uh, there was somebody there in a Mickey Mouse costume doing photo ops, and he was walking around doing photo ops with people. So I looked over at Lloyd. I was like, "Yo, let's uh, let's get a bunch of the filthiest tr titles we can get on here." So I, we picked, you know, like "Fuck Me in the Morning" and you know what, whatever, whatever the goofiest titles we could think of that are just like the most, uh, you know, vulgar titles we could think of. And I just went and took a picture of Mickey Mouse holding all those titles, like right across here, clear as day, arm around Mickey, Mickey's arm around me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have difficulty understanding the whole IP system of it. Because the thing is, I can understand if you're selling merchandise that you made yourself, but to just have a painting on a wall or, or the Spider-Man logo on a tombstone. Yeah, I mean, why don't why don't you just charge them you know a couple hundred quid just to you to pet it on the tombstone just pay pay you know you know what i mean you could do that i suppose if you know if, but to actually come after them with lawyers and everything like that is a bit heavy-handed I mean, consider that you know why don't they do that with like in korea or china or or some of these third world countries who are knocking out Disney crap that's basically not even associated with them whatsoever. Or though, or I mean, you see it when you go to like Orlando, for instance, and you get all these souvenir shops, and you can tell that none of this stuff is Disney or you know, this money's not going to the Disney Corporation because you know you got Minnie Mouse, and that's just sit there to say that she looks Disney. like Minnie Mouse, but there's just something not quite right about Minnie Mouse. <laughs> so you can tell it's not a Disney franchise. Um Thing that you're buying so why don't they go after those instead of like nursery schools or people's parents it just doesn't make a lot of sense so screaming yeah, mother one that's like oh wow that that that's that's where we're gonna go huh from what i understand they go after uh conventions and stuff like that because there's a lot of unauthorized retailers there 
So that the, so they'll go to a convention and just and do like a giant cease and desist and like take them all out like that. Yeah, I can understand uh, going after retailers. I can understand. Yes. You know, because you know you market it, but when you're going after something that's nonprofit, yeah, it's 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 a bad look. They did. I think their official stance was, "We wouldn't do this for anybody. We're not going to do this for one kid. If we do, it starts a slippery slope. We don't want an, our logos on anything related to this." I, I, I how would they know? I, I think it was uh, something oh, happened. It, it probably went viral because I, I do re vaguely remember. A story about a kid who passed away, and and I seeing a oh, and social like media that. ruined it. For every, for social media ruined it forever. Oh, look at this! This is sweet that this little, little, little <laughs> Spider Man and all of a sudden immediately cease and desist to destroy that your you know your memory of your child, destroy that tombstone. Well, John works for Disney. I wonder if that's his job to go through social media. <laughs> 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 what the, what's the outcome next week? Really? This was John specifically that did this. Jesus. <laughs> John's going to listen to me like, what the fuck did I do? Saying that, I think we go get on to our bestiality out one. <laughs> Selena Kyle was kidnapped by the villainous genetic engineer Dr. Emil Dorian, a former comrade of Manbat, and becomes his latest experiment to provide his man cat hybrid named Tigress with a mate. Batman learns of this and comes to the island to rescue Selena. He is captured and forced into a deadly game of cat and flying mouse as Tigress hunts Batman through the island's jungles. So, Sean, what are your thoughts of Tiger Tiger? I, too, like the island of Dr. Moreau. Um, and Bride this, of Frankenstein. And Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, it's a loving tribute to to the island of Dr. Moreau and Bride of Frankenstein. And you got to see Catwoman <laughs> as a literal <laughs> Catwoman, it was, which was a little weird. Uh, it's. I thought it was an okay episode. I didn't really... Of the four, it was probably... Uh, probably my either this one or Moon of the Wolf is I, I go back and forth uh, which one I like the uh, less. But jumping to the end of the podcast, where we're talking about our favorite and least favorites. I know, I know, but I'm I'm thinking about it right now. Just in, as I'm thinking about my looking over my notes and everything. Well, about the, it. The, the fact that this one and Moon of the Wolf were side by side. My, That's my, why it's my, confusing my, me because a little I, confusion here. Like, wait, wait, hold I, up. I'm merging the, the two together one. exactly because I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the stuff that happened in the Wolf episode and stuff that happened in this one because yeah, it is a it They're is both a very with a scientist in a serum that turns people into monsters, and they back, both, back and, episodes. So yeah, it's uh, I'm trying to remember which one uh, was which. I did like the the uh, reemergence of Kurt Langstrom. I thought that was a nice touch to see him, especially in human form and actually helping the Batman. So we have some continuity there in terms of oh, he hasn't he hasn't gotten corrupted again. He hasn't he's actually been recovered. And no, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here to help. I'll give you I'll tell you what you need. So it's a nice little touch there. Uh, I did think that it showed that the relationship with uh, Bruce and Selena is still going. Don't know if it's going strong, but it is actually still going. They're dating. Is, though, he's they, they are dating, thing, so. which is a nice we've touch. Seen, we've seen him date like 70 other women in the meantime. <laughs> it's a very open relationship. It's a, Well, that you kind of got the vibe. It's a very open relationship. But 
that connection between them is still there. And it, you can see that there's could be something growing from that. Uh, other than that, I thought that it was, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, who's the guy that played him? I remember his voice from, uh, his voice, the, the, the doctor, uh, it was, what's his name? Uh, Joseph Mayer, uh, that was played Dr. Dorian. And, uh, where, where did I see him in recently? Oh yeah. He was in a uh, sister act. He was the lead priest. Uh, he's, okay. He's, oh, okay. he's a character actor he's a character actor who's been in a ton of stuff but uh, that was the thing I just remembered him in recently uh, w- works as a mad doctor I don't know if his voice is a little too soft spoken to be playing the mad doctor I was expecting more laughter a little bit more kind of reminded me of he was very subdued very confident and just it, it, it didn't work with the type of uh, uh, character he was playing in my opinion but couldn't quite work out what the, what he was over. I mean, outside of getting tigers laid, I wasn't quite sure what the over. He just like he just like cats, and he liked cats more than humans, so he wanted to make cat human hybrids. That's that's yeah. what I was get. That's what I got. And and then he wanted to mix. I mean, basically wanted Selena cat and cat form to mix with this man bat. Was he like a man? Was he because he wasn't really a cat? Man bat cat. He's uh, he's trying to make a man bat cat. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of an odd thing right? <laughs> when you think about it. When you start thinking, you're like, okay. But I kind of wanted like, was he's hoping that every he was gonna turn all humans into this? Or so I was a bit unclear about that when I was watching this. But I mean, I like the episode a lot. I love the the island looking like the most dangerous game island. Oh, yes. And that was know. a nice touch. And I like, I like. Yeah, this this was definitely their uh, their their tribute to uh, to uh, the 1930s thrillers like the Island of Lost Souls and uh, and and the Most Dangerous Game. I I really enjoyed that that aspect of it. And it's most as beautifully painted as well. I give it, it has a beautiful look. This episode as well. Oh, it really does. Yeah, you know, I did a, like the look of it a lot. You did a good job, but yeah, the, but and then I, I guess. I guess, and then I—I I guess the only thing I was disappointed in would basically is that Selena could turn back quite easily, but I—I I was unsure was Tigress a human before. I don't. They never showed Tigress as a human, so he I, could I talk, and he was, and he—he he, he stands on his hind legs like a man. I. So, I just, um, I couldn't quite figure out what what his or, or what origin story. I mean, I know they stuck on that island. I don't know if we'll ever see him. Saturday morning genetic tampering uh, <laughs> logic. That's that's pretty much what it is. It's... Yeah, <laughs> but I felt sorry for him. I did feel oh god, yeah, empathy for him because now you know you know. I mean, and I guess you know we're we were operating on this thing that to, to he loved her so much that he's letting her go. Yeah, but yeah. but it's kind of weird that we don't really. But the only problem with that basically is we don't really get a build up of why he loves her, other than that she's the only female species on this island that he can have sex with. It was yeah, it's it's kind of we have to be because uh, yeah, we're the only we're the only ones. Yeah, you're the only one who can understand someone like me. I mean, it, it's kind of the end of Bride of Frankenstein. Well, except in yeah. that case, the, the monster destroys everything. 
but why why did he why did he love the bride aside from you made her for me yeah, yeah but i get but then i guess I'll, i i guess with the reason why it works for frankenstein is that frankenstein really is basically working on a very childlike mind yeah where tigress seems to be quite intelligent you know and he seems to be quite you know he can string a sentence together he you know he has he has a, like a, a really long thought process and he's able to express himself he's not just grunting and groaning he's like makes four words and and so yeah i, I kind of i think this this would have been excellent if it was a two-parter where you kind of got his origin story and then you got her story coming in and then this would make a lot more sense because I think some some of the payoff that I expected you to feel would have been there if they had it, if it was more of a two-parter than it was a one-parter. Because yeah. you're not knowing Tiger's backstory and he's declaring his underlying was like, was he? Is it because she's the only one you can have sex with? <laughs> so it's like, or she's the only one. She's the only one. Or you know, and then then she has like a, a slight feeling for him in a way that she you know she has empathy for him. But but then again, you don't know if her empathy for him is because she's like this, and but she can't wait to be back to her former self. So it's not really an empathy for him. It for it's more about herself. So. So Maybe I, this would benefit from uh, being revisited uh, later on if they do it. I, I doubt they will. Yeah, uh, I loved. I loved a lot of it. I just kind of wish we had, you know, just a nitpick. I would like more of his story. And was he a man before, or, or was he born in a lab? Was he, you know, whatever that story is? Because, and then I think we probably would have got the payoff that we wanted. You know, that, well, that thing where he says goodbye to her, then that would have had a more of a emotional payoff. There is a line where he he refers to the scientist as his father, and Batman tells him uh, test tube was your father. So yeah, there is, so true. yeah, it, it might be just yeah he didn't exist before this. It was a test tube baby. <laughs> <laughs> this all this was missing to me was Bella Lugosi as the sayer of the law, and I would have been I, I would have been like, totally <laughs> happy with it. It's it's the island of Doctor Moreau. It's the most dangerous game and i'm totally down for that i i i love some i mean there's been so much 1930s gangster movie nostalgia in this series uh why not go for some 1930s uh 1930s action thrillers uh nostalgia you know yeah Well, this brings us to Moon of the Wolf. Batman investigates the appearance of a werewolf-like creature in Gotham, not realizing that the monster happens to be one of Bruce Wayne's associates, Anthony Ramallis, an ex-Olympic champion. Behind the scheme is twisted chemist Professor Milo, which looks looks like we got Professor Milo coming back without his goons. So, <laughs> Joe, what are your thoughts on Moon of the Wolf? Um, well, the, the first thing, this was very similar plot wise to the Clayface episode a couple of uh, a couple of uh, episodes back, because that was basically, again, you know, famous in, in that case, a famous actor and the mad scientist who creates this thing that turns him into a monster. Um, so it does kind of feel like it, there's a little bit of repetition here. 
Um, as far as um, I, I, I love this one because it combines the Wolfman. It combines. There's a little little known. I mean, I don't. I don't know how little it's known. I don't know how well it's known. How little it's known. Uh, 1942 movie that was a ripoff of the Wolfman called The Mad Monster. With uh, I want to say it was George Zucco as the as the mad scientist who turns, uh, turns this guy into a werewolf via his science experiments, and the the guy's played by Glenn Strange, who's this big hulking. Glenn Strange went on to play the Frankenstein monster, just this huge hulking uh beast of a man back then. It was you know he was a, a stunt man, uh, he was Lon Chaney Jr.'s stunt man, and he became uh you know he became a kind of a monster movie star in his own right because he was just this big stocky dude. But in this uh, in this movie, uh, he is a farm. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, I think he's a farmhand for George Zucco, and he um, he's kind of dimwitted. And George Zucco turns him into this this werewolf creature. And I kind of feel like that might be where they were uh, uh, where they were getting parts of the story from. Um, I really enjoyed this one because there's always something in the, you know, like the, the werewolf genre uh, or the werewolf subgenre more than any others. You always get that, uh, you know, that, that, that Greek tragedy aspect of it where it's a guy who doesn't, you know, doesn't want to be turned into uh, this monster whenever the moon is full and, in you know the universal cycle towards the towards the end of the movies, you know, Larry Talbot becomes a little bit, a little bit too whiny for most people's tastes. Uh, but I felt like this one kind of treaded the line just right. Um, I and I, you know, I'm a guy who loves old monster movies, so I was super nostalgic with this one. I really, really liked it for that reason. Uh, and I, I told Sean because I, I watched these while he was at work yesterday, and I was like, dude, we get two monster ones back to back, and it's kind of cool. I could kind of see the you know, why, why people say there's a little bit of sameness to them. Um, but I like the monster, I you know, I, I like the whole Wolfman thing. So this was uh, this is a really good one to me. Uh, it re- really, really spoke to me here as my little monster movie loving heart. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else to really say about it. Aside from maybe I just like it so much because of nostalgia. We got to, see, Herbie, we got to yeah. see one of the Three Stooges come back again because he was in last month, wasn't he? Milo. Yeah, Milo with his mo haircut. Yeah, yeah, his mo haircuts because um. So obviously he didn't get, you know, when Batman ran off at, you know, the last episode we saw him and he didn't go back after Milo. So I guess Milo still was running around free. So because Milo was yeah. the, the mad cat experiment making, you know. That's it. All right. So, so it brought him back kind of quickly, huh? Yeah. So I, I mean, I like Moon of the Wolf a lot. I really, I mean, I love, I love the animation. I love the way the transformation. I love the way that was done. It kind of reminded me of yeah Clayface, but it also kind of reminded me of Man Bad as well. Yeah, the Man Bad episode and the Clayface episode. Yeah, they 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 have a few of these where where it's yeah it's a monster who's turned into a monster kind of against his will. So there, there, there's there's a few of them. The, tra- the tragedy of a lot of the supervillains in the Rogues Gallery. I mean, we're going. We're still. We had the first season done. Some are coming back, but we are still establishing because it's such a vast gallery of uh, villains that you can. I think go Batman through. has the most, doesn't he? Most. Yeah, villains? he does. He does have the most, and he does have the be- probably arguably the best. Everyone uh, always says. Yeah, but, I, I think th- I think he definitely has the best rogues gallery. I think that's I think that's part of why Batman as a hero works so well is you don't have to keep like everyone keeps mining the Joker well. 
but you really don't have to. There's there's so many great ones. Oh, give me a Professor Pig story. About to, <laughs> give me something like that. Just like a complete – that'd be a great horror movie. I would love Pete. a Clayface movie and you get like Bruce Campbell or Robert Englund. Well, I guess oh. – well, maybe not England at this point because England's like seventy-five years old. England but... could play no. England could play the director, but he plays the director on set, saying, yelling at him and stuff like that. Yeah, you get like a Bruce Campbell, yeah. you know, to, to be the classic, classic horror actor, you know, uh, and go, Bruce go Campbell that with his facials and mannerisms. Oh, he'd be perfect. He'd be yeah, perfect. I mean, Jim Carrey, wouldn't they? I was just gonna say. Also, Jim Carrey would be Jim, great. Rubber face Jim Carrey would be perfect. I, I think he's retired now, or at least I don't know. He's the man's done so uh, much. He's, uh, no, he's still doing the Sonic movies. He's still doing the Sonic. I think. I think oh, he I said think the, he, the second Sonic movie was gonna be his final film. Yeah, I think he said he, he's okay. he's stepping away from everything. I don't know. I, he might he might be. If anything, he went back to his roots. He's doing the uh, the oh, he's borderline fire marshal Bill in those movies. So I, I kind of. I appreciate his performance. His career came full circle. Yeah, it came full he, circle. He was trying to be the uh, the serious actor for like a solid decade or decade and a half. Uh, they all go chasing after that Oscar for a little while, don't they? And then, yeah, I mean, hopefully, got it. hopefully, Will, got it with the hopefully Will Smith is done chasing his Oscar, so we don't have to get any more. We don't have to labor through any more of his. Jeez. <laughs> uh, well, aside from Robin Williams, I don't think any of them ever got it. Uh, any comedian. I, I don't think. Well, uh, I didn't get it for a comedic uh, performance anyway. You got it for serious. I guess what Dead well, I mean, a comedian who became a serious actor. I think he, I think Robin Williams is the only one. And to be honest, I mean, hey, he's good. Oh, Will Smith. Well, then what am I thinking? We were just talking about him. Will Smith. Yeah, Will Smith. I guess I, I forget that he's a comedy actor. Well, he started out as one, yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I think I was like an action, action Jackson kind of a. Actor. Well, that too. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I kind of think, think of him starting out in sitcoms. You know, yeah. Bel Air is probably where, where everybody kind of learned about him. Well, everyone's wondering. You know, you're putting the Fresh Prince in a movie. Is this going to hit? Because uh, he he got some he got a lot of acting nods for Much Ado About Nothing, if memory serves. Because I want to say they did... <laughs> we're thinking of, we're talking oh, that, about Denzel Washington, who was in Much Ado About Nothing. Um, he oh. got um Wait. Will Smith's first movie he got uh he was up for an oscar nomination as supporting actor for the six degrees of separation six degrees of Se- that's the one i'm thinking of six degrees of separation okay with soccer channing and um donald sutherland which is an excellent film actually even though he had problems with the gay kiss and that that was that's the thing i remember from that movie is the fa- is all of his commentary about the kiss more so than the movie itself is. That was, I yeah, I mean that was the '90s, though. Everyone was, uh, oh wait, everyone's gonna think I'm gay. Well, <laughs> knowing what we know now, maybe there's a little bit of truth to it. <laughs> it's s- just projecting. That's all. He's clearly just projecting that man. I think if anyone thought he was gay, they might, you know, they might think so now just because of his wife's comments. Uh, <laughs> that has helped. I mean, usually the people who who put out a lot of homophobic stuff usually end up having a lot of stuff in their closet. Well, I remember Mark Wahlberg. I mean, I remember when he made all those comments about gays and stuff like this. Where the point where every time he was showing up, act up was someone attacking him, throwing stuff at him. (laughs) I didn't even know about those comments until recently. 
Uh, I remember him at the time because that was before he became an actor. This is back when he was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, just before he, you know, I imagine that now that he worked in Hollywood, there's a lot of them around. So, he's probably a lot more chilled around Case than he was with his Funky Bunch sort of thing. You know, you know, when you grow up, uh, the you know, like the lower middle class, you know, you grow up in like a lower middle class neighborhood, everyone is the enemy. So yeah, anyone who's different is the enemy. So yeah, if you were you weren't exposed to as much of it, then yeah, it's gonna you know. Well, like then, I, I, mean, I mean, it's really hard to. I mean, this is before social media, so no one knows exactly what he said. That's the problem. What exactly did he say? So I mean, by so by the time it got around, God knows what the what his original set, what his original set. Yeah, you can't even really count on you know this person says he said this, this person says he said that it's at this point, all these years later, you know, I, I, I tell Sean all the time, I grew up in a lower middle-class neighborhood where, uh, you know, uh, fireworks were sold illegally. And if we were ever, uh, ever caught with, um, by the police with illegal fireworks, the line we were supposed to tell the police is the, uh, some N words sold them to us. Yeah. So that's, that's just growing up in that kind of, you know that kind of thing. You know that kind of. Uh, well, I think. I mean, is, is, I think what we also need to realize is that we're all—all all of us—are changing. We all, you know, what our views may have been at one point are always changing anyway. Yeah, you can never really hold anyone responsible for something they said, even ten years ago, sort of thing, or five years ago, or situation you know i remember what was it the the comedian that they got not being able to do the oscars because of something he said some slur he said like 10 years ago on twitter kevin hart yeah kevin hart. and the thing is like well maybe he's maybe that's how he thought 10 years ago it doesn't mean that's how he thinks now yeah you know what i mean he's like you know i think you gotta look at people you know it's a bit like donna summers she ruined her whole career because she sat there and said that AIDS was a curse that God gave to gays, which kind of that's what killed her career. And of course, as as her money dried up, she had to change heart. But, but for whatever reasons, okay, you know, you you know, I think you know, I think we have to remember that people do say stupid shit. For whatever, I mean, a lot of times it's lack of exposure to different people. That's too. You know? I I I I've brought up many times. I'm a I'm a big pro wrestling fan. There was a wrestler by the name of Jay uh, of Jay Briscoe. He was uh, one of my favorites. He passed away uh, recently. Uh, for many years, he was blacklisted from the major companies because uh, his words, "I'm a hillbilly. I'm a hillbilly chicken farmer from Delaware. I I don't know much about other things other than what I was told, and I was brainwashed by uh, what I was reading in the Bible." And I was led to believe that these people are evil. And he said some comments that pretty much uh, blacklisted him from the uh, from everything. And for the rest of his life, he did everything he could to change and be a better person. Saying, no, I'm open minded. I got no issue with anybody. I, I'm a man of love. I just didn't I didn't realize I was this ignorant. And until and not until after he passed away, did he finally start getting rec uh, recognized from those higher up companies? Yeah, because the, the their higher ups, their parent companies wouldn't let him. The NBC Universals or the Warner Medias—they're like, nah, we we we're, we can't take a risk on this hillbilly, regardless of the fact that he may have changed, he may have grown up, he may have evolved and and grown into a better human being. We can't take a chance. Yeah, so. I can't. I, I I can't really support all that because I think that people are always changing, and I have to sit there and say that I grew up in a very very small town of eighteen hundred people, 
you know, and I'm I mean, I'm just fortunate that my grandmother and my mother are not, and my aunt are not the same person. So, you know, because it's you know, we're all quite inbred from where I'm from. Um, and I'm quite happy with that. And the thing is, you know, yeah, you know, I was very, very not sheltered, but, you know, a person of color for us was someone with a tan, for instance. Yeah. You know, and and then when you know, of course, when I went to college, went to Tulsa, you know, I f I'm found myself mixed with a lots of different and different people, and any preconceptions I had were slowly broken down because I was open enough. Because once you start, you know, seeing different people from your hometown, and you start experience world and life and experience the world out there, you realize that any stupid misconceptions you had when you were a child change you know, or whatever that you're picking up from TV or whatever you're picking things up, you know, and I think that, and I'm, I'm sure I probably said a bunch of stupid stuff, you know, until, you know, I learned, learn better, but, you know, and I think that's, I think that's what we probably need to remember is that people say stupid stuff doesn't necessarily mean just because they said something stupid, you know, a few years ago, that doesn't mean that's how they think today. That's what, you know, I think that's why we probably shouldn't really be holding people accountable for things that they said years ago or whatever. Especially, especially when they're striving to actually change. Yeah. I, I, I go back to my to my old neighborhood and the people who never left the neighborhood still have, you know, views that are that are homophobic and racist and all that stuff because they've never been exposed to it. And to them, the the you know those ten blocks that you know around where we grew up, that's their entire world. Yeah, and they can't imagine anything outside of those ten blocks. And saying that, I'm not going to hate people because they have a differencing opinion, but I might not agree with it. But at the same time, me hating them and cutting them off or whatever is not going to it's not going to change them. Uh, be honest, keep being able to keep open conversations with them and keeping them in dialogue, I've probably got a better chance of changing their opinion of anything than anything. Well, like, yeah. Cause if you just, cut, if you just cut them off, they're just going to double down on their views. Well, listening I is a major, all the times I've had these conversations at my bar. I mean, it's one of those things where you've had you, you, the open dialogue with everyone. It cuts through better than anything. You're absolutely right. Keith. What, what, what I, what I've found works lately with all, you know, all the Bud Light stuff, working in a bar and have, you know, hearing, all the all the Bud Light stuff is I'm like, what is it exactly that Bud Light did that's really pissing you off? That they made one can for one trans person, and that's it. Like, it's the idea that somebody who is not you know not you, not your type of person, uh, was celebrated by them, like. Ultimately, like what? It, what is the issue that you have here with the? I think when inclusivity. Comes, when I think it comes to things like this, personally, I'm kind of wondering if the media spins it so they give some stupid person a soapbox and let their and let the and then they take that take the and let that guy say whatever they want to and let that echo throughout the lands for whatever reasons in this case kid rock and uh, well the thing is is but if people let okay let him say what he said and but if he just said it and just let it go after he just said it without repeating it over and over and over again wouldn't be a problem 
Probably. Yeah, I wouldn't have heard about it if it wasn't on the news. I don't really by, follow by, by, reporting, by reporting on that over and over again, what you're doing is now you're dividing people. Now you can get people, I'm on the Kid Rock thing. I'm on where the thing is if Kid Rock just said it and no one even mentioned it whatsoever, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have any division. No one would have a comment because no one would have even known about it. <laughs> That's the that you know. And so sometimes I'm kind of wondering if um and to be honest, because of this, sometimes I kind of wonder if some of these companies because what might happen is that you know you might have this small fraction of people that are not agreeing with Bud Light might not never, never drink Bud Light again. But now what you might have is a bunch of gay people going, "Yay, we're going to drink Bud Light now!" Or before there was the green cores. So, I, I don't think, so I don't think people are ever going to go, "Yay, let's go, let's go get Bud Light." I don't think anybody gay or straight is going to say, "Let's go drink, yay, let's go drink Bud Light." Come on, there's so much better beers. <laughs> I know, there's but, so much better beers, guys. But sometimes I do kind of wondering what what's going on behind the scenes of all this. Now, yeah, I mean, right. I, I mean, I could tell you, like, um, from my own personal experience, um, you know, when I was gay, when I was going, I was, you know, going to college and the buckle the Bible belt in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then I could, you know, I could get fired or not be hired for jobs and stuff like this because of my sexuality. But I can tell you that I never had a problem ever. And even people who didn't agree or were unfathom about it or didn't really up, you know, didn't understand or her biased against it or whatever like that. Over time, they changed their opinion. Now, I had a sec, you know, here in London, I had a secretary, and she's from Nigeria. I won't use her name, but um, she used to sit there and say that I was going to go to hell on a daily basis because she was born again Christian. Mm. And everyone's going, "Oh, you should report her. You should report her." I'm not reporting her. She has a right to believe whatever she wants to believe. I don't care. You know, if she wants to see me in hell. That's fine. I don't give a, you know, I don't give a rat's ass, really. Um, after about three or four years, you know, we worked together for ten years. After about three or four years, one day we're sitting there, and she said something to me. And I go, you know, and we had a, you know, kind of came down to the Bible and what the Bible meant and what how the, the passages that were used and how they could be, you know. And I went through, you know, thing is I know the Bible inside and out because I was raised very, very, you know, very Christian. Um, and once we had a conversation, and I said, you know, look at it this way and that way, and I explained to her that there are a lot more happy passages in the bible than there are negative that there's nine hundred thousand happy passages and there's only seven thousand negative passages and if you want to sit there and just quote the negative passages you're kind of missing the whole point and she left it there and i go i go, you should, I go and instead of like having someone preach to you what the, what everything means go back and read it yourself and come up with your own meanings and about six six weeks six eight weeks later a couple months later she came back to me and she goes you know something keith she goes i was wrong and the thing is, if I, if I, and, you know, and, and to this, we're really close and stuff like this. Um, and I'd sit there and say that if I reported her or knocked her down or made complaints about her, we would never have that conversation. And chances are her view of, you know, homosexuals in this instance would have probably would have just gone, gotten even worse. Yeah, they're going to double and triple down. Where basically we just are having a conversation. It's like, and to be honest, I think people have a right to view whatever they want to say. You have a right to say that. Doesn't necessarily mean that I may never agree with it, but you know, when you, when you look at freedom of speech situation, just as long as you don't recite violence towards anyone, you have a right yeah. to think anything you want to say. Doesn't necessarily mean that everything that you say and you know say and think is the right is right, but you have a right to say it. And then 
you know, and if you find someone like that, probably better off just to have like a conversation. Now, when it comes to this Kid Rock situation, does he have a new single coming out? That could have a lot to do with it as well. <laughs> that too. Is his bar sales softening? Is it a lot of things going on? That man has a lot of thing irons in the fire. So I guess ultimately, at the end of the day, when I when I when I look at this situation, oh, I'm never drinking Bud Light again, and all this stuff. Here, here's the part where I want to know where you really stand. Should should somebody be able to be denied housing because they're gay or trans or whatever? Should somebody be denied a job because they're gay or trans? Ultimately, those are you know. If, if you think these people should be you know should be denied a, um, you know a livelihood or denied a home or denied the right to eat, then you and I are going to have a very fundamental difference on this. And ultimately, is that what you're really going for here when you're when you're talking about you're gonna you're gonna boycott something because they're pro gay? What are you really going after? Are you going after the rights of the LGBTQ people? I don't, I don't think that they're. I don't think they look at it. I don't think they look at it that deeply. I think it's yeah. just, they they look at it from an emotional level, and that's when we look at things from an emotional level. You're always going to have these extreme, you know, extreme left and extreme right thingies. And to be honest, there's you're always going to have an extreme left, and you're always going to have extreme right. And to be honest, it's and I had to sit there and say as far as the gay community is concerned or the alphabet people or i don't know how many letters they have i get confused with them even though i'm supposed to be part of them i still get confused but at the same time is that not everyone's gonna like you you're gonna have to fucking get over it same thing like you, you know if you're italian not everyone's gonna fucking like you i'm sorry but by by but when it comes to the law we're all created equal and we have the, all the same rights that doesn't mean that that means that everyone has to like you and that everyone has to accept you. But at the same time, as far as the court of law is concerned, yes, you have equal rights. When it comes down to when it comes down to society and people, I'm afraid that you're on your own and it's how you act and how you treat other people. And even if they don't like you, you're going to have to treat them with respect so they can treat you with respect. And the people who don't treat you with respect, it's probably best to step to the side and just ignore them. Because the more ammunition that you give them or the more the more of a voice that you give them, they're just going to get louder. And as soon as someone's having if someone has as soon as someone has a difference in their opinion and they're yelling at you, they're never going to be listening anyway. And I think that's part of of why we've seen in the last decade or so the rise of all this hate speech again is probably because we're amplifying what these people are saying. And in some cases, people, people have decided to now make it their identity to be hateful. Well, but to be honest, I mean, you do have a lot of people on the trans side of things and the gay side of things and, you know, on the ethnic side of things. And to be honest, you know, we should be living in a, in a society where we're lifting everyone up and not bring have to bring someone down to bring someone else up. And, you know, the thing is, you know, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to do this situation, that's fine. It's fine to break treat everyone equally. But at the same time, you can't be, you know, you know, systemic systemically pushing anyone down at all. And making them feel like they're inferior or blaming them for the past or blaming them for whatever. All you can do is judge people for what they are now. You know, there's no way. I mean, you can't judge people for what happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago or something like that. You can, you know, if, if something happens and you've done something 10 or 15 years yourself, 
that's different. You can take responsibility and do what you want with it. But you can't blame generations for go. I'm sorry, but I don't care what your parents done or what 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 kind of world we're settled into or whatever happened. I don't even care what happened in World War II or what, what Russia did during the Cold War. What, you can't. We had no control over that. That's the past. And you know what you do is got to look at now and move forward. And no, you know, I, yeah, I'm sorry that you know, you know, and you know, I know this is kind of a touchy subject here, but let's sit there and take slavery. It was a fucking horrible thing in in history. But saying that, even though a horrible thing happened, if slavery didn't happen, some of these people, people wouldn't be here or we wouldn't be where we are here. You know, we the, the generation that we had won't be here. I probably would not be here if the colonials didn't come and wipe out half of the Native Americans, because everything that we're doing is a series of things and has brought us to where we are now. And if you, you know, if. if you know, if you know the Spaniards never went through and wiped out, you know, the Aztec Indians, you wouldn't probably have what you have now. It'd be different. It'd just be different. I don't know if it'd be better or worse. It's just going to be different. And no matter how you look at things, you kind of have to look at what they are now. And yes, when it comes to, you know, yes, it's important that everyone's treated equally and respected. And by the court of law, everyone has that right and everyone has that right. The thing is, you just got, but when it comes to person to person, unfortunately, it has to come from you as a person and how you treat people. I mean, not everyone's going to like me. Some people are not going to like me for whatever reason. I don't have any control over that. But at the same time, I'm not narcissistic enough to know that I don't like everyone myself. I fucking hate everybody. So I don't expect everyone to like me. So that's the way it's going to have to be. Really so long way of saying like you don't be an like. It's just the way it is. It's a really long. We just had a really long-winded conversation to be like, yeah, just don't be an asshole. <laughs> Still be an asshole. Be a nice person. It's okay. Let it go. It all came from werewolves. That's why we needed to accept the werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, on that note, I guess this brings us to our last episode, which is Day of the Samurai. Yes. <laughs> um, Kaladai Ken kidnaps Tari Tanaga, star pupil of Yori Sensei, the martial arts instructor who taught both Kayande and Bruce. The ninja's ransom for her is a scroll that teaches the location of the fabled Death Touch. So, Sean, what are your thoughts of the Day of the Samurai? I like that we got Kyodai Ken uh, back. I'm I'm happy that we got a follow up episode. I um I went back and right before this episode and rewatched uh the the Cur- Curse of the Day-, Day of the Ninja something of the Ninja, uh the original episode that he was in, and I <sighs> the thing I liked about that episode was was more the Summer Gleason aspect and the prying into the past. This was, and you had Robin there who's trying to seek the approval of Batman. This one's just a straightforward revenge story. You have, uh, you have Kyodai Ken, uh, who knows that, um, knows that Bruce is Batman. He knows exactly who he is at this point, and he's going to, um, start messing with him by messing with his master, trying to, uh, to bring him out as any way he can. And, um, you get into the little bit of the backstory with, I forget what they call it in the show. I've always known it as the Dimmock, 
the the death touch, uh, which uh, I was telling Joe around the. Uh, I'm like, this was popular around this time. I remember a uh, Don the Dragon Wilson movie called, I think, uh, I think it's called, um, whatchamacallit? Uh, I think it's called Touch of Death. It's either called Touch of Death or uh, Red Sun Rising, maybe. I forget. I I, I know I've seen it recently because it was available for free on YouTube. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Had something like that as well, didn't he? Like that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's basically, it's. The manipulation and it's just the the touch the literal like just I'm gonna poke you in the heart yeah. and I'm through by doing so I'm transferring a force of energy that will kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not the touch of death from the Simpsons. It's, <laughs> that's, it's, that's what I was. <laughs> it's it, it's more of a poke to the heart. It's it's a get on that. It's it's one of those type of things. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not that. It's not it's not the touch of death from the Simpsons. But um. Yeah, it, and I like that he. Oh, I found the soft spot on his practice dummy, so I just put a little lead pipe and a little lead uh, vest underneath. Even though the lead vest looked like it had a hole in it, right where uh, he he was being poked, so it kind of threw the missed the purpose of it. But it, it I like the whole um, aspect of this part of Bruce's past. I like the when he was away, when he was training, he made his enemies there. And he still has this this ghost in his past that wants to come that is seeking its revenge seeking his revenge. Uh, I had to remind myself it's because he's always the better student. Kyodai Ken, he was always the uh, the uh, the top student of the dojo, but he got greedy, tried to steal his sensei's sword, and was exiled from uh, from from the from the dojo. And he forever seeked revenge on Bruce. And I like the fact just fighting Bruce. He started to realize, no, Bruce and this Batman guy are the exact same guy, just from their fighting style and and, and how they fought. And how, they, they they're all saying you don't know a guy until you fight him. Well, now I guess that that there is some truth to that in the, in the, in this sense. But uh, all in all, I thought this is probably my favorite episode of of the four. I mainly because I like this aspect of this ghost from his past coming back and. This is the uh, also the last appearance of Kyodai Ken. He he um, he uh, bows out literally and figuratively at the end of his episode, and uh, before uh, in a in a blaze of glory in the middle of a volcano. So, I I love how the last two episodes just show the different the, the the vast difference between you and I because your favorite episode is of course the samurai episode. Mine yeah. of course is the old school. 1940s horror movie <laughs> episode. I, I I like I like samurai movies. What can I say? And I like old monster movies. So there you go. <laughs> of course, that's going to be your favorite. This one's going to be probably. Mine. Am I kidding? It's the Joker one. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That probably was the legit most entertaining one. We'll we'll talk about that when we're when we'll we're talk done. about that in a minute. But yeah, no. Honestly, I I thought um, the story of Kyoto Ken and everything and getting the. Uh, Showing that, uh, and 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 also his mentor kind of saying like, no, I know you don't like, you probably shouldn't like Batman because he's more of a ninja than samurai. He hides behind a mask, but he shows more honor than a ninja. So for in his eyes, he Bruce and Batman walk the way of the samurai, which I think is, it's 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 a nice touching end to the episode. I think it, knowing knowing where this is going these series i kind of wondering if he gets kind of sidelined because then we get raya gall coming later which mm. 
starts appearing. He part, he I part. think that's part of it because I mean that's that's the big that's the big samurai baddie in the series. So, but I quite like it. They kind of give you these little puzzle pieces into Bruce and like his past and catching catching. You up. need you need to fill in that jigsaw puzzle because we're 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 almost a season and a half in or at this point so we need uh, if if not even deeper so we need to start filling in the blanks of everything we get the movie that gives a big puzzle piece but we we do need to start filling in the gaps in that point in time yeah that's what i quite like about the animated series is that you do get these little puzzle pieces and little chestnuts that kind of bring him forward and 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 i found this with this episode i found that it was quite well done because there wasn't a lot of sideline stuff going on it was kind of a bit more focused but oh yeah that that we didn't get the first time around with this character <laughs> the first time it was kind of a bit sidelined with a bunch of other stuff going on with robin and all the other stuff going on where this was like okay let's go revisit this and let's flush him let's flush this out a little bit more and i quite like japan it. yeah and also it's out of gotham we, we've got out of gotham we're in we're in japan now we're uh seeking out this hidden fighting style in the heart of a, a volcano there's lots of like things in it that lots of tropes that just as a kid i remember like okay he's going treasure hunting ninjas you get all those checking every box for for the kids that are watching it on saturday morning the volcano did kind of remind me of um austin powers is um secret yes (laughs) there was definitely Ah, austin power compound that was one thing that kind of took me out of it when we were watching this last night. I was like, so they are so lucky that all all the uh, flames from the volcano, all, all the lava that's shooting out of it is landing around them and not hitting them directly. <laughs> it's, it's just flex. It's just flex of, uh, uh, of uh, molten lava that, you know, getting close to you would singe any part of your body. But, you know. Obviously, this is. Um, I'm surprised I didn't learn anything off of Mount St. Helen. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, we we don't want to talk about Mount St. Helen. Let's <laughs> not bring everybody down. I remember that was kind of like a sonic boom that kind of just wiped out everything within a you know, hundred mile radius. <laughs> what are your thoughts about this, Joe? Did you like this episode? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those one of those months where I was talking to Sean last night after, you know, we we both kind of we we both kind of worked opposite schedules, uh, so we were you know I, I watched them and he watched them at a later time, but the we both only had time to watch the other three, and then we both watched this one last night. I was like, this is one of those the, one of those times where like I liked all four episodes. Me too. Uh, yeah. This this one was uh this one was uh a, a fun one too. I I love that final fight at the end, even even with the ridiculousness of the the, you know, the 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 falling lava and everything even though uh, it, was, it was before it it kind of gave me uh revenge of the sith vibes uh, with the yeah, lightsaber battle it was the far a little bit of that well i kind of watching this and kind of wondering if like quentin tarantino was a fan of this only because of the death touch kind of remind me of kill bill a little bit they had that kill bill kind of vibe sort of thing to it as well you know and, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that it's kind of funny because you're kind of watching this is what 1992, three, 
two, three, oh, the yeah, ninety-two or ninety-three, something and like if, that. And if you look at the films that came out afterwards, there's a lot from this episode that are kind of you found in like that end up in popular culture, big movies later on. It'll be Austin you know the you know Kill Bill and some of the other stuff that was going on, and it's like okay, you know, well actually, when these last four episodes, they found there's a lot of nodding too but it also seems like a forerunner of other stuff to come from in other mark in market regions so well i guess this brings us to who's your favorite character and least favorite character starting with you joe favorite character is the joker again just because he's so like completely unhinged at all times i think i think a lot of it's mark hamill's performance at this point he's coming um, into his own yeah, with the character i mean he's he's finally reached that point where he's that joker from that that we all know like i also kind of like the, the you know the the, the werewolf character because uh, i i guess my nostalgia for lon cheney jr and my uh you know, my love of the Wolfman and my love of, you know, old Sam Newfield movies from the 40s where he was, you know, he was doing these horrible uh, ripoffs. But I don't know how enduring that character is going to be. I'm, I'm not even certain we're ever going to see him again. He might be. I mean, I know they, they leave us on a cliffhanger at the end with, uh, you know, the the full moon. You know, it'll be a full moon again in four weeks. So who knows? And you, you hear, you know, you hear the the braying wolf and the, the couples buying his old house and everything. So I do kind of like that character as well. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if we ever see him again. Mm -hmm. um, as far as my least favorite, I guess it'd have to be one of the two mad scientists because did we need two? <laughs> you know? <laughs> what, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Dr. Milo or the Dr. Moreau ripoff, uh, it's like, did we really need both of them? Um, I, I kind of... I don't remember him from Man Bat. That's the thing. The one from um the Doctor the Tigress and some, yeah. The one. I, I, I remember I that there remember, wasn't I that. I remember. I remember the scientist who was who became the Man Bat, and I remember his wife. I don't think he was in the episode. Oh, okay. I think it, it's more they were colleagues who both do similar type scientific experiments, and so that hey, this the is thing he made him the Man Bat or something. I thought I, maybe I got confused because it sounded like. He said something about. So I thought maybe he had he was part of that experiment or something. Maybe they responded here. Maybe maybe it was the research phase. Maybe it was something along the lines of that. And but I don't I don't remember him at all unless he was in the background as a character. Yeah, I don't remember him at all. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of like, watching it goes. Am I supposed to remember this character from somewhere? <laughs> so I guess yeah. My my vote for my least favorite character is. Pick pick one of those two. You know, <laughs> you could you could have made one character do both, just not in consecutive episodes, yeah. and just been fine. You know, yeah, separate it up. Maybe put the day of the samurai in between them or something, or to have two. Yeah, and then and then make it the same character twice. Make it the you know make it the same mad scientist. Because why do you need this many mad scientists in this in this universe? Yeah. Well, we can always need it. We always got mad scientists. I think they're called Bill Gates now. So, <laughs> who's your favorite character and your least favorite character? Uh, probably my favorite would be the Joker. He's much like Joe said, he's just unhinged and he overtakes everything. Honorable mention to Kyodai Ken because I do like a good uh ninja and it seems like he had good motivation for everything. My least favorite is probably Milo 
only because he's kind of useless. Uh, he's preying on these super athletes that don't really need his technology and just kind of hoping that, much like Romulus, he violet Beauregards that shit right down his throat without even thinking about it. Oh, by gum, it's gum. Yeah, sure. And not and not even caring the fact you know, you probably shouldn't drink out of test tubes that random Mo Howard looking people hand you. You should probably do a little work. No. Okay. So that's it for him. Uh, so I'd say probably Milo is my least favorite because he seems like kind of a weak, a weak villain. My main science, mad scientist, weak villain. Yeah, my favorite's got to be Tigress. I liked him. I really liked him. I just kind of wish there was more of him, but I was really drawn to him. I don't know. Something, something about <laughs> the way he's drawn, the way he, I like the way he spoke. There was just, you know, the, the way he announced himself. So I really liked him. Do we get more of him later on? I don't think so. I don't know. And I'm not, we'll find out. <laughs> Eventually. I don't remember him appearing again, which is a shame, really, because I would love to go back to that island at some point and just, you know. <laughs> Find him coming in. I don't. Know, maybe he joins Super Pets. Who knows? But, but but I really liked um. And my least favorite is Doctor Milo. I'm sorry, but it's kind of like it's hard to think that someone who looks like he's who went to a really bad barber and just came off an Amish farm is a mad scientist. It's really hard to. He just <laughs> he's like an Amish farmer. He does. He does. It, there's it, the look, the way he's drawn. There's no intimidation factor whatsoever. It 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 feels like he should be the assistant the assistant scientist to the supervillain. Like yeah. that constantly gets berated or beaten down. Like his name should be like Milo Hayseed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> Okay, I guess we're down to our favorite episode. What's your fa- favorite episode? Uh, starting with you, Sean. Uh, it is a toss-up between Day of the Samurai and uh, Joker's Wild. Um, I'd probably give a little bit of a nod to Joker's Wild. Uh, just because I, it, you got to see the inside of Arkham. You got to see the Joker escape. Uh, you got to see corporate America fucking around and find finding out with supervillains and why they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you have there's there's a lot of things in it that just made me smile. The Day of the Samurai. I've grown up loving ninjas my entire life and and, and stories from Japan. So I, I think it just tugged at my nostalgic heartstrings of watching it. And when I saw it when I was a kid. My least favorites of, of the two monsters, I'd probably say Tiger Tiger. Um. Uh, actually, no. Uh, the 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 uh, was a day of the wolf. Day of the, oh, the wolf. Oh, the wolf. That one, I probably say that one is is my least favorite, only just because. Uh, the, I thought Romulus wasn't a very strong character. I think that it didn't need that. I mean, physically, he's a strong character. I don't think he's written as a strong character, though. Uh, I think that he's uh, it, it, it kind of holds down and that combined with Milo it just doesn't seem like a very good pairing and uh, the way that and also I, uh, like I said the way that he just guzzles down that formula so quickly I'm just like Ugh. there's more desperation to this person than, than anything and I just I couldn't get into it what about yourself Joe as we're saying that I was actually looking up uh, the Romulus character to see if he shows up again in the series, and sadly he doesn't. Uh, I can't find anything on Tiger Tiger. Uh, 
uh, as far as whether uh, Tigress shows up anywhere. Um, my, like Sean, my favorite's probably Joker's Wild, just by a a, a hair. And I think it's again just uh, Mark Hamill's performance, just the absurdity of the plot, just kind of works for me because it's just such a stupid idea to just taunt the Joker. But whatever, man, we're gonna do it. Um, but it's it's a toss up between that one and actually Moon of the Wolf because, like Sean said, like Sean with the samurai movies, I would, I'm a big old monster movie fan. So I, I think anybody who knows us knew exactly where we were going. Yeah. <laughs> And I, you know, um, I feel like it was kind of a uh, a loving take to a movie that's not very well known called uh, The Mad Monster, and I I kind of appreciated that. Um, Joker's Wild though just is just thoroughly so much more entertaining. It's just absolutely goofy, stupid, and mad, and I love it. There's one thing that happened, and I completely we didn't talk about it. I completely forgot. They acknowledge in at least in the Batman universe or the first uh, animated universe, the Joker's name is Jack Napier. Oh, that's right. When, yeah, when he's flipping through the files. Yeah, flipping through the files, his alias is Jack Napier. Well, I mean, this was, I guess, it was, it was a couple years. It's a couple years after Batman yeah, eighty nine. It's inspired based on the Burton universe. universe I guess, yeah, that was that was the predominant Batman universe at the time. Uh, also, I did look it up. It is uh, Ernie Hudson was the security guard. He was. That was Ernie Hudson. Oh, okay. That was Ernie Hudson. Uh, which I don't know why you'd get Ernie Hudson and only have him play a security guard because at that point this is after Ghostbusters. He's... Yeah, this is after Ghostbusters. He still has a career. Congo's a couple years later, so he's he's still going to be used in mainstream. Yeah, those those, those, those are yeah. Those, yeah, those are the milestones for him. Hand Ghostbusters, Congo. Congo. You got something else? <laughs> they didn't do the hand the rocks the cradle. Oh, yeah. I think he was that. I've never seen the hand the rocks the cradle. I think he was great. That. He's great at that. No, it was, he, he's he was great great a huge movie though. It was one of the biggest yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> one that I used, to, one that I saw on HBO. When I saw I love on the HBO, those are Ghostbusters and Congo. Those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. Uh, Hannah Rock's Cradles in the middle. But yeah, those are the big movies that I remember him being in. Do you remember that before Oz? No, Oz is the next big tentpole for, uh, that I bro. remember. Bro, yeah, he was in Oz. Oh yeah, the Crow. Yeah, he's the cop in the Crow that uh. You know, I was trying to solve Brandon Lee's murder. I retract my statement and I shut my mouth because I love The Crow. I just, I haven't watched it in forever. <laughs> I haven't seen Actually, I just saw a shark. <clears throat> I was at the I was at the dollar store and I found this uh, box set of four shark movies. And I threw on the first one. And uh, Ernie Hudson is uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the big corporate boss on this island where all these shark attacks are happening. And it goes exactly where you think it's going to go. There's a big corporate oh. boss where these shark attacks are happening. That's not, what, a- that's not what I was laughing about. I thought you were going to say, he, I thought we, he, he's appeared in this shark. I thought, I thought you were going to say Sharknado. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he might have been. I, I haven't seen all the Sharknados. Who knows if he might have been in one of those? He may have been yeah, in one. Ozzy, Who knows? Ozzy was, uh, you know, Warden Glenn. Oh, God. Yeah. There, there was another big milestone before Congo. No, that came out after. Or around the same time, didn't it? Maybe around the same time. Maybe around the same time. But yeah. Congo uh, was around the same time as Anaconda and all those movies at that time. Oh, I, uh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> those are Those are something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> John Voight. Mwah! What a performance. What a performance. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's what maybe that's what uh, up his uh, relationship with his daughter. 
Yeah, I think it was her making out with her brother at the Oscars that did it. But yeah, uh, uh, ha- having Ernie Hudson pop up is uh, is always fun. Even though, like, I was like, you could have given him something better to do. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, like it's just like, why pay his fee for for him to be a security guard? That's like two lines. He might have just come in because he was a huge fan. He might have. Yeah. I want to work on a Batman. All right, you got it. I mean, it was uh, it was one of the most popular animated shows at the time. It seemed like they were getting a lot of people. They're getting a lot of huge stars. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be better than his work in you know Space Hunter, uh, the Forbidden Zone with Molly Ringwald. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the movie theaters and saw that in 3D when it came out. Believe it or not. <laughs> oh boy, uh, I think my favorite. Joker's Wild, as far as entertainment episode is concerned, as far as the, if I was just going to go on looks alone, Tiger, Tiger, I think is the the most beautiful, the way it's just animated and everything like that. I mean, I would love to say Moon of the Wolf, but me, uh, Doctor Milo Hasey just kind of ruins it for me. If he wasn't, <laughs> if, he, if he wasn't, if he wasn't in that, and maybe if they switched them around, maybe if they had the one from the previous episode that Mad Scientist and this one, I can understand. There's just, it's really hard. It just, you know, back. I mean, we saw Milo with Ann Ramsey, you know, from <laughs> the throw throw mom off the train in the previous <laughs> episode, and then here and. You know, I just find it hard that you'd be involved with all these athletes after the diabolical thing that happened like a few episodes ago. So it's kind of, <laughs> you know, I think maybe if they had a different one, it probably would have made it better. But, but least favorite, I, um, I mean, I don't have a least favorite episode. So I guess it's Joker's Wild, um, first and then followed very closely by, Moon of the Wolf, I guess, but only because I love the transformation and everything like that. But if I was going to go just on aesthetics alone, just by the way it looked, Tiger, Tiger, I think it was the, the most beautiful of the, the, of the animated ones of this selection. So, you know, yeah, I don't have a least favorite this time either. I'd, I'd have to be forced to pick one. I really don't. They were all entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it's, it also says something for how good this particular set of episodes were, that while all three of us kind of agree that entertainment-wise, Joker's Wild is the best, we all, all went with a caveat second, and each one of us picked a different episode of the other three. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it just it, speaks for how strong this, this set of four was. The one I, I, I like the, the least is probably, I was just picking nits at it, because well, I genuinely like all of them. I think that they're all very good stories it's just i think that one is just executed uh less than the others that's all the one you like the least is my second favorite yeah so like to be honest if it wasn't for a couple small things like if for me if tiger tiger you know took to tiger's air character and explained his story more that would hear it um, Moon of the Wolf, if, if Emilio was uh, Milo wasn't in there, that would have hit it for number one out of the park for me. Yeah, his samurai, if there wasn't, if they weren't in the volcano tower, <laughs> they hit it out of the park for me. So, so when I look at that, Joker's Wild is the only one that kind of consistently hits all the tar- all the points for me. So, but I would um, say that was a, a plot point in one of the three ninjas movies, though a cave of gold hidden inside of a volcano. So it, it could have just been what, like you know something that they were doing around that era. 
Yeah. I've only, I've only seen two of the Three Ninjas movies, and one of them just because Hulk Hogan's in it, and I heard it was utter trash. <laughs> Interesting enough that Ernie Hudson has a main role as the main character in Qu- the new Quantum Leap. Oh, no kidding! I, 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 all right. Yeah. Um, I have to check out the new Quantum Leap. I love the old Quantum Leap. It's Yeah, I mean, it's on over here. I probably will give it a give it a shot maybe you know i don't know who the other i don't know who the main character is so raymond lee don't know who that is so but yeah ernie hudson's the main character in it huh well, well good for him uh you know i mean how will he's got to be in his 70s by now right somewhere between 70 and death um <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> Yeah, Raymond Lee was in here and now, and Kevin can fuck himself. So, yeah, didn't see any of those. So, and yeah, fuck and he's had bit parts, and it's always sunny in, in Philadelphia scandal and modern family. So, huh? And he was always in a Top Gun Maverick as well. So, hmm. what a shot. So, Well, this brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next month, we'll be covering four more Batman episodes, which will be which will include Terror in the Sky, Almost Got Him, Birds of a Feather, and What is Reality? And, of course, next week, we'll be doing our Make Remake, which we'll be doing True Grit from 1969 and the 2010 True Grit. And our Monsters and Mad Men will continue with The Orphanage, or El Orphanato, from 2007, and Personal Shopper from 2017. Books of Screens will continue in August for our last month during this season, where we'll be covering Flowers in the Attic by B.C. Andrews and the film from 1987, where incest is best with his family. <laughs> and, and of course, um, don't forget Doctor Who. Doctor Who will now be doubling up on its storylines with The Rescue, which aired from the 2nd to the 9th of January, 1965, and, uh, and The Daleks' Invasion of Earth, which aired from the 21st of November to the 26th of December. So it's good night for myself. Good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. Good night, Sean. Good night, everyone. See you next week with True Grit from 1968. <laughs> Let me elucidate you here. Everybody wants to be a cat Because the cat's the only cat that knows where it's at Everybody's picking up on that feline beat Cause everything else is obsolete A swear with a horn makes you wish you weren't born Every time he plays But with a square in the eyes you can set music back to the caveman days I've heard some corny birds who try to sing Still a cat's the only cat who knows how to swing Who wants to dig a long head gig and stuff like that When everybody wants to be a cat
wants to be a cat Because the cat's the only cat Who knows where it's at When playing jazz he always has a welcome man Because everybody digs a swinging cat enjoyed that it was a lot of fun to do thanks so much to everybody involved thanks to jake for the studio and thanks to michael for the video um thanks to all the patreons that sort of are making this happen and make this whole project of mine get bigger and better 
if you're interested in supporting me over there, check out my Patreon page. Also, if you like the sound of this big band thing, why not check out the version of Redbone by Childish Gambino that we did like last month. And finally, if you want to see more stuff on here, uh, subscribe, consider following me on Instagram. I might start posting stuff on there. Who knows? Um, I've got a bit of an interesting, fun, gig-filled summer coming up, so there'll be content. I, there'll be content that I can make, that's for sure, uh, even if I don't know what I'm doing. But yeah, see you next week. Bye. Bye.